Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us once again. Episode 165, recording on Sunday, February 27th, 2022, at 2.27 p.m. Pacific Time. I'm your host, Terry Plecknett. We got Todd. We got Zach. We are recording this just ahead of the SAG Awards happening tonight. Um, Zach, what's your prediction? What's going what's going to happen tonight? Well, I want to preface this by saying that I I think, you know, we're going to do our prediction show in a couple weeks. I have a feeling that a lot of our predictions are going to be one movie, which is Power of the Dog. I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing out loud here. I feel like this is the one unknown category, real unknown heading into the Oscars. And for people like Todd, who are degenerates, it will impact how you want to bet. Because I feel like the winner of Best Ensemble, for which Power of the Dog is not nominated, has to move into second place in terms of the Best Picture race. Maybe not necessarily, but I think it's. I, I think depending on the film is a good bet that it will be the second place winner. Um, unless and, that winner is House of Gucci. Unless the winner is House of Gucci, in which case <laughs> it cannot be a second place winner. And I'm not saying that House of Gucci couldn't win. I'd actually kind of ride that shit. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know what the odds are on, on, on are it. But, uh, so, so you're saying like last year when Nomadland wasn't nominated that when Trial of the Chicago 7 won with the monster cast that that became the second place? That became the second place. That's when it officially overtook Minari and became the second place film, I think. I, you have to point to that. And I think this year's race is kind of similar in the sense that I think you got two movies that really could win tonight. I think it's either mm. Belfast or Coda. Maybe, maybe don't look up. But I think which Belfast, would be the trial of Chicago seven of this year right. with the monster cast. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a fair comparison. I'm going Coda. I think Coda matches the narrative a little bit better of a ensemble film that may not get a lot of Oscar love. So maybe the SAG people feel as they're a little more inclined to vote for it. And I think Belfast sock is falling a bit and I don't think they are quite lowbrow enough to go don't look up. I think this is a consolation prize, and I do think it would raise Coda's stock quite a bit if it wins, and it's my prediction for tonight. I can go with that. I'll go. I can go with Coda. Especially, wasn't it? Was it this weekend that it got the the theatrical release for free? Was that this weekend or is that next weekend? Like I know that's happening. Like they're doing like a weekend release of Coda in theaters for free. I did not hear about that. I didn't hear about that either. Well, yeah, if Coda wins, that would be like when Little Miss Sunshine won this category. And that's what I'm expecting to happen, too. But they also do some weird shit. Like, I think King Richard isn't dead in this. This would be, remember, that they also um, awarded, like, Hidden Figures, which is a, another movie with, like, one real only Oscar nominee. <laughs> and Coda Black event. Panther. Don't forget about Black Panther either. I mean, yeah, I, feel like I mean, it's... well, that's the outlier because that... I mean, that's a Marvel movie, but Hidden Figures was one that, like, I don't think anybody thought it had any chance at winning Best Picture, but when it won that over Moonlight, which still makes no sense in retrospect, uh, I don't know. I mean, that'd be like King Richard taking this, and then you'd be like, is that have a shot at Best Picture, even though it really never did? 
But yeah, Coda's going to win, I think. See, I feel like in recent years, though, the, the best cast doesn't mean near as much as it used to. Um, Like, it used to be, the, oh, this is the SAG's ability to, to give a best picture win. But that's not what they really do anymore. I mean, how many of the best picture winners over the last few years haven't even been nominated? So, I mean, you don't... You don't have power. I think they the all dog. have been nominated for Best Picture. Well, I think no. I think there was a run there where they were doing a lot of Best Pictures, like early early 2010s. But I think it hit by around the time I have to look it up. But around the time of Hidden Figures, that's when it was Hidden Figures, I believe, three billboards, and then Black mm -hmm. Panther. That's when they started deviating, and then it became sort of a consolation prize. I feel like, which is which is consistent with the narrative if they give it to Coda. So right. I think so it's had what, figures four won. of the last. 12 have gone have won best picture for the last 10 11 when when three billboards won uh it was green book right green book was not nominated no um, that was that's the wrong year wrong that year was, shape of water no, shape of water, water was, was, nominated. was nominated even with three acting nominations yeah that's amazing um, that, that now we could really have four of the last five years the best picture winner doesn't even get nominated yeah that's black crazy. panther won in a year that Green Book was not nominated, instead they nominated Crazy Rich Asians. Um, the one, the one outlier is Parasite. Parasite was not one; it won uh, the cast award at SAG uh, and Nomadland with no acting nominations. Which, yeah, so the, it's with no acting, of, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe, maybe the, the SAG voters thought that that 1917 was going to win that year. Maybe that's why they voted for. Parasite, if, if you're going with the Consolation Prize narrative. This is the fourth time out of the last five. If if Power of the Dog truly is the 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 winner of Best Picture at the Oscars, this is the fourth time out of the last five years the Best Picture winner has not been nominated for Best Cast at SAG. And, and five only... out of the last six if Warren Beatty was, was correct in what he wrote, read. <laughs> well, there is that. There is that. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. By the time you listen to this, you'll know what ha what has happened. But uh, it's the SAGs outside of this is really going to be a big teller of what uh, where the acting categories go. Are we thinking there's any surprises tonight, Todd? What would be considered a surprise? Um, any of the four front runners not winning. Troy Kotzer could win. That w that wouldn't be surprising. I'm not even sure who the frontrunner is for Best Actress. Uh, it, that's a good point. That's a good point. But, I mean, if Nicole Kidman doesn't win, then, well, she would have still never won a SAG for film. Which yeah. seems odd, but it's I guess it's possible that if, if she doesn't win, then I think what Jessica Chastain has to be the winner at that point, right? Oh, or, or Lady Gaga. I can see, yes. I can see Chaos. That would be that would be like when Emily Blunt won for a Quiet Place. It'd be like, yeah, okay, exactly. now we know nothing. <laughs> uh, Can we have sixty seconds to talk about the announcement this week that eight awards will not be broadcast during the ceremony? Is this the worst decision? Rant, rant in, away, Zach. Is this the worst decision in Oscar history? I mean, we had the whole like best commercial film controversy that quickly subsided, <laughs> and then we had the whole. Until they did a Twitter vote for it this year. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I voted for. Uh, for uh, Yakuza and the Family, by the way. Oh, nice! <laughs> Did you hear Cinderella is is the front is winning right now? Yeah, that's pathetic. 
Anyway, I've never been so close to boycotting the Oscars. If I'm if I'm being honest, I mean this that, that is that is pathetic, and it it is outrageous. It's a travesty, and you know I just feel like we are our ship's captain is is heading in the wrong direction. Okay, like they are interested in one thing, and that is ratings. So they do not care about the prestige and the integrity of the Academy, if it ever had any to begin with, post-crash. And uh, I just think that we need people in charge. Let's put people that actually care about movies in charge. Let's put like Mark Harris in charge or uh, Martin Scorsese or Ava DuVernay, people who actually care about the Oscars. Like Steven Soderbergh last year as a producer, but let's make him in charge of the whole thing. Not these pathetic Ben Lyons wannabe horseshit people like, you know, the medical people on Apollo 13. They're awful. Let's get rid of them. We need the Oscars back. Let's take it back, people. But last year was as bad as it gets, though, and how it was actually produced. I mean, that, that was borderline unwatchable from somebody like me who loves the Oscars. I completely disagree. But the, but, but the, but the producer of the Oscars agrees with you. Like, and, and the ratings, you know, were pretty low last year. But can we just throw that out because of COVID? I mean, come on, the, 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 erasing eight categories from the broadcast to make way for well, they're gonna, they're gonna show them. is not a solution. Well, they're the, going to the, they're going to they're going to uh, film their speeches before the actual telecast starts. And then they're going to oh, put them into the show they're so gonna, that they, they can control how long it takes. 30 that, second, 30 second talking points with music played over them as we cut to commercial. That's what they're going to do. And it takes away all borderline suspense. do that anyway for like takes the away all suspense, all surprise. It's awful. It is a tr- is a travesty. It's a bad idea, but I don't think it's going to be as bad as you're making it. I, I agree that it's it's probably not going to come off as bad as everyone thinks the disaster of it is going to be. However, it's a horrible idea. And they did it, they did it a few years ago. Didn't they do it for like May? I, I want to say they did it like 10 years ago. And it was it was terrible when that happened. It was for, you know, it was for live action short. They, they, they've done this before and they got rid of it the next year because of all the backlash and how poorly executed it was. They might as well just put them with the like the governor's awards and stuff if they're going to do it like this. Yeah, right. post hosted by Bryce Dallas Howard or something. Yeah, it's it's awful. Awful idea and it's just showing the direction the academy is going, which is which is truly disturbing. Not that the Oscars really matter, just to make that clear. You know, they didn't nominate uncut gems, so it never matters. It the, never matters to begin with. The argument I I've always I've I've really liked is the academy needs to stop chasing the audience that is never going to watch anyways. And embrace the audience that loves the Oscars and make something that they love. Right. Um, because the people that they're chasing are never going to watch. Like I, I've I've heard, oh, no one no one watches the Oscars anymore because they don't nominate anything that people watch. Well, when Joker had eleven nominations, guess what? No one watched. Yeah, when or Black, Black Panther. Panther was nominated for Best Picture. Guess what? No one watched. And last year there wasn't anything and no one watched. And so now this year, guess what? The same people aren't going to watch, well, regardless it's of whether editing is on, is in the main broadcast or not. It's so all instead, relative. you're going to screw all these people over. Like what? We're never going to get ratings that you had in 1975. Okay, the the the, the broadcast, uh, you know, the television has completely changed, and these people again, they just they they're not with reality at all. What are they? What are they doing? How are, how are they going to are they going to like start the ceremony an hour early? Are they going to have these people give their speeches to an empty room? No, it's going to be a and, full room. Like they're just going to have everybody show up early and then but they're and not then have up. an hour of dead air of red carpet show. Maybe 
I don't I know. Mean, that's that's what the red carpet they... show is already, but maybe that'll be on an hour tape delay. I mean, and which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world anyway, because then they can edit that to to kill all the actual bad <laughs> air that that is. But you know, but the, the worst thing of all is you know that they're just doing bloated montages. That's what they're going to replace it with. It's not like they're actually condensing the show in any meaningful way. Let's reinstate the Jimmy Kimmel contest of shortest speeds wins a, a speedboat. That way we get people to watch it. Make it fun. Make it exciting. Bring back the Oscars. Yeah. I, and, and if they were able to keep it like in some suspense until it actually aired, that'd be one thing too. But now they said that they're going to be like tw uh, live tweeting who actually wins from that hour before. It's like, why? Then what's the point? Then then you're, you're really ruining it. You're ruining the moment. And, it's, and for some pretty significant awards i mean editing is a huge indicator for what's going to be looking at some big big awards later on it it's it's not it'll be interesting to see how it goes but i doubt it's going to come off well and, and the, live and action short Pixar invitational for uh animated and, film and live action short riz ahmed's film is probably going to win that right like they're missing out on recognizable people getting awards and recognition like that's come on that's that's total bs why so they could give Cinderella its moment in the sun? I mean, let's let's get our priorities straight here. I mean, I don't know. they've been trying other things. Like, remember they had Eminem sing "All of Lose Yourself" at the Oscars for no reason, like because it was the 19th anniversary of him winning an Oscar. You know, it's like they've been trying things to get people to watch. Oh yeah, it was. Remember, it was like the 13th anniversary of Chicago. They had them all back on. That was fun. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they've 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 tried other things. I mean, maybe if they actually, I don't know. I think it's an advertising issue, honestly, because it's never advertising for the Oscars, except for like maybe like five second clips at the end of like a commercial break before a sporting event or something. It's 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 really weird. I don't get it, and but we'll see how it goes. The other one I'm confused is in there is score. I mean, music is one of the fun things that they actually do well at the Oscars, and now they're going to present score an hour before anything ever happens? It's weird. Anyways, so that's that, and uh, we'll talk more about the Oscars in a few weeks, but let's actually officially start this episode. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some Agafria. There we go. He, he, not Imagine how worked up he would be if he was if he was actually having some alcohol right now. Yeah, I maybe I shouldn't say what I'm drinking so see if people can guess if I'm drunk or sober because it's, it's probably not that much of a difference I would say. <laughs> yeah, considering you said there are 25 movies in our top 25 of all time, and that was the whole point. That was a good. That was a good idea. I was just reminding you. Yeah, in case you forgot. <laughs> Todd, uh, this is tequila and limeade. Newman's own limeade. Oh, very nice. Very In nice. a Breaking Bad glass, by the way. Yes. Where's my money, bitch? Nice. Well, I have I have a tall boy here of out of Boneyard Brewery in Bend, Oregon. This is the RPM IPA. So that's what I'm drinking today. Nice. No one right. stone. No one stone. Sadly, in honor of Jeff Spicoli. It's true. It's true. We could Probably. be eating pizza though. We want to keep it PG thirteen. That is maybe just have someone true. come in midway through the episode, bring in a pizza, double cheese and sausage. <laughs> there you go. All right, uh, Todd, what'd you watch this week? Uh, so I watched a new Netflix movie directed by David Blue Garcia. It is the twenty twenty two Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ooh. which uh, 
it takes place 49 years after the original massacre. Leatherface like relocates to this what's supposed to be, I think, his childhood orphanage, which it, I don't know. It's not really entirely explained, but he's like hiding out there, I guess. Um, but he's the only guest of this old lady that lives there. And so three young entrepreneurs, which are played by actors that you would know, like uh, Elsie Fisher is one of them. Um, but they're like uh, <laughs> showing the area to these investors to try to like gentrify the area. And they have a run in with the old lady and she ends up dying. And uh, Leatherface flips out and relapses into his old like murderous ways. And Sally, who is the only survivor of the original movie, to which this is actually a direct sequel, which um, obviously it's trying to be Halloween 2018. Um, she comes back with a shotgun and says how haunted she is by Leatherface for the last like almost 50 years. The movie has some really awesome kills. There's one in particular where he uses the victim's own forearm to stab himself. It's something I've never seen before. It was pretty awesome. Like, and that's the kind of movie this is. It's a really bloody movie. Definitely not anything like the like the grossness of the first one. The the main characters act like they're in like a 1980s slasher, uh, which is I mean, they're like annoyingly stupid. Uh, but I mean, it keeps the franchise going in like a Freddy Krueger kind of way because he's kind of unkillable. But Sally's not a Laurie Strode. It, uh, she, it didn't really make sense why they had to bring her back like that. Leatherface, I don't know. He he has he has this one part where he like busts into this party bus that's like with his chainsaw, and it, it's like trying to be so current <laughs> where he's like they all pull out their phones and they're like, "Hey, if you try anything, asshole, then you're canceled," and then he just slaughters all of them. Which was kind of funny, but at the same time, it was like, okay, I, I see what you're trying to do. That you're trying to be. This is it's so trying to be Halloween 2018. It it, it doesn't quite work like work like that. It's like a late Saw franchise kind of movie. Uh, I mean, but if you like the movies, then it's worth it, I guess. I'm giving it two stars, sort of out of respect, because I did watch the original before watching it, and uh, that still is one of the most disgusting and kind of awesome things I've ever seen. Nice. nice. That's a pretty generous review. Most people have been completely trashing it. Yeah, I know. I mean, but I mean, it does have it does have a lot of a lot of things that I appreciate about these kind of like splatter movies. But I just didn't expect this to be one of them because that is not the way the original is at all. So is Elsie Fisher's character like in any way related to her eighth grade persona, like trying to make awkward, awkward selfies and tutorial videos on YouTube? I mean, that's kind of the way her whole generation is. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, a, a few characters are like that. All right. All right. If only Bo Burnham had directed. Yeah. I don't know who <laughs> David Blue Garcia is. B L U E or B L E W? B L U E. Okay. Hmm. All right. Uh, I'll go next. My Oscar watch for this week was a foreign film nominee from 10 years ago 2012 um it was canada's submission at the 2012 oscars uh, i saw todd has seen this already it's a canadian submission that takes place in africa which is kind of interesting it is called war witch um it is uh directed by kim win and it is about uh this um it doesn't really specify anything about where in Africa it is, but there's this conflict and the rebel army is going into villages and stealing kids and indoctrinating them into their army. Uh, one of them is this girl named Kimona played by Rachel Mwanza. 
and uh, she becomes a she becomes a war witch. Basically, she has this, these premonitions of when attacks are going to happen, where they're going to be taking place. Um, it has a very kind of um, Beast of No Nation vibe to it, uh, and very similar themes. However, it kind of goes in a different uh, in a different way, and has really three very distinct acts in it. Um, and as uh, it starts out, where Kimona is sitting there and she is talking to her unborn child and telling her unborn child the story of what is going on and how she ended up where she is. Um, it, it's it's a very fascinating movie. It's got some great performances by these kids, these no-name people that still are no-name people. Um, I'm giving it three and a half stars. Uh, it's a yeah, it's kind of a it's a pretty powerful movie. It's on Canopy right now if you want to catch it. Um, but uh, yeah, there's some there's some gruesome images in there as you can imagine. But it it's also just has some really heartwarming moments um, as they a couple of them try to break away from what they've been indoctrinated into. And it's good. It's really good. It, I was, I was impressed by it. So war, Witch three and a half stars, Todd, I know you've seen this one. Yeah. I mean, these are the kind of movies, these, uh, something set somewhat around a war that is like very, very serious is like the exact thing the Oscars go for like all the time now. And yeah. It's... This is one of, this is just, I mean, it's one of those movies. I, I, I like the movie too. I mean, you're a little bit higher on it than I am, but yeah. yeah. I, I want to say there's like a tradition of Canada producing movies that aren't really from Canada and then they get in as a Canadian entry. Like I remember Water was a film set in India, but got a Canadian. It was count as a Canadian film. I want to say like Kandahar was the same way like 20 years ago. I'm not sure, but there's, there's got to be some loophole that, uh, you know, Canada sneaks in and other countries can't. I'm not sure why, but maybe it's because they speak English and so it's a way for them to participate. Possibly. Yeah. I, it's just a little sus. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a red flag on it, you know, because they sometimes will throw out movies that have too much involvement from, from one country over another. And it doesn't seem like Canada has any role to play in these movies besides financing them. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little sus, as the kids say these days. Is that what they All say? Right. It, it is. Apparently. Uh, yeah. Elsie says it as she makes awkward videos with Leatherface. All right. Zach, what did you watch? All right, I went back 51, no, 52 years and went on to Canopy this week. And uh, not that Canopy was around 52 years ago. I watched a movie that has a grand total of 288 votes on IMDb, but it has a pretty major cast. The movie is called The People Next Door, and it is directed by some guy named David Green. But listen to the cast, okay? You got Eli Wallach, Julie Harris, Hal Holbrook, Cloris Leachman, and Rue McClanahan, a.k.a. Blanche in uh, Golden Girls. What's kind of interesting about the cast is I was it's this is actually a trivia point on IMDb. They all live to be like 95, 100. And Hal, Hal Holbrook and Cloris Leachman, who play a married couple in this movie, died within four days of each other last year. Did you guys know that? Like they just recently passed away, but they died really, really close together. I didn't realize that part of it. No. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. Anyway, <laughs> that has nothing really to do with the movie. The movie is a really nice counterpiece. Do you remember a nice little movie called Joe that we watched about a year ago with Peter Boyle? And we had a spirited 40 minute nice conversation movie. at it. Spirited. Uh, this would make a great double feature with Joe. This is also a movie that is sort of like. Um, 
about the counterculture and, and 1970 America and it's hysterical about it a little bit, except this time it's not so much about, um, you know, this uh, vigilante radical played by Peter Boyle. This is about uh, basically uh, drugs and LSD and pot infiltrating the lives of youth in suburban United States. Eli Wallach and Julie Harris play a couple, uh, you know, middle-aged, middle-income couple in New York uh, City, and their daughter becomes hooked on LSD. And um, instead of it being this kind of over-the-top, um, almost cautionary movie that I think a lot of movies prior to that time were, what I like about this movie is that it really kind of shows how the parents are just as bad as the teenage daughter. Basically, the Eli Wallach character, he's really good in this movie, by the way. He is this kind of philandering alcoholic who really doesn't give a shit about his daughter very much, but he's trying to keep up appearances a little bit. The title refers to the fact that the people next door, Hal Holbrook and Cloris Leachman, are also this kind of ne'er-do-well couple, um, but their, their son also has drug issues, too. The movie feels it's hard to watch the movie and not think about that. Maybe like the, 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 the writers of the ice storm or the Virgin suicides may have watched this movie or referred to it when they were writing. Cause if you, there's definitely a vibe to it that you see in those movies and those books, there's a little bit of an American beauty vibe. There's also a little bit of a requiem for a dream vibe. It does some psychiatric ward scenes that I'm sure were pretty intense for 1970. Not so intense today. I like the movie quite a bit. I give it three stars. It definitely has look. it's rough around the edges in terms of its seventies ness. It's got the, bell bottoms it's got the psychedelic music it's got the psychedelic dream sequences lifted it feels like directly out of midnight cowboy but it's a pretty cool movie and eli wallach under underappreciated underrated actor um and i i enjoy it if you want like a 70s version of american beauty uh or you know ice storm actually that took place in the 70s uh check it out it's a pretty cool movie all right all right you gotta love the 70s man just check out those movies on canopy any movie from the 70s it's gonna be worth watching 80s on the other hand pretty terrible decade but we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later in this episode <laughs> that, that's what they call a teaser all right well let's uh let's move on from that and get into our featured review now and for this week uh there really wasn't much that came out in uh in theaters wide cyrano came out but was not playing everywhere which was really weird so we went to a movie that came out two weeks ago, or last week, yeah, last week, and uh, reviewed it. It was it's kind of a smaller movie, but it um, it has been hanging around in in most theaters. It is the cursed. We will all pay for the sins made by our elders. There's a manor house. They've sent for me regarding their son who's gone missing. It may be connected to what you've been looking for. Written and directed by Sean Ellis. Uh, I'm going to go first on this one and talk about what The Cursed is and what I thought. Uh, so The Cursed originally called Eight for Silver when it was uh, when it premiered at Sundance last year. Uh, this is a movie. I don't even understand what that the title. I, I remember hearing someone say, yeah, it went from Eight for Silver to The Cursed. It went from bad title to potentially worse title. Um, but... Uh, the Cursed is, takes place in the late 1800s and uh, looks at this rural community that is being attacked uh, by a beast of some sort, and it all revolves around a curse that has been placed on the land. Um, the, uh, the main character is Boyd Holbrook, who plays John McBride, this man who uh, seems to have some idea of what's going on and can is trying to help 
fix it. Uh, the uh, the married couple at the heart of everything are played by Alistair Petrie and Kelly Riley. Uh, this movie it it's really kind of it, it's a fascinating movie. It's not it's it's a scary movie, but it doesn't really have like the jump scares you would expect out of out of like you know a traditional like super scary horror movie. Um, it, it's it's more. It, it more makes you think and um, and really kind of ponder on this whole uh, this whole environment that they create. Uh, I really like uh, how it sets it all up. I like how you don't really know what's going on at all for the first 20 minutes of the movie. Um, once attacks start happening, it really picks up and you are invested and you are really drawn into what's going on. Uh, the way it ends, even though you, there's things that kind of hint at what's going to happen and you kind of have an idea of how it's going to end the way it ties it all together with everything else that's been, that it shows, I think is really, really cool. Um, and yeah, I was impressed by this movie. I really liked it. Three stars, uh, for the cursed. Um, I'm not a big horror, scary movie guy, but, uh, one like this, that is more, more thriller almost with some, some horror elements to it. I can really get into. So, uh, I'm giving the curse three stars. Uh, Zach, what did you think? Yeah, um, you know, I'm not as big on this movie as you are. Um, I, I had some issues with it. Uh, I think, okay, for one thing, let's just get it out in the open. This director is in love with smoke machines. Every single scene in this movie has smoke on it, excessive amounts of smoke. And it's like, look, bro, we get it. You want it to be austere. You want it to be ominous and sinister. Great. Then tell a good story. Okay. There's no real story in this movie. It kind of feels like, I mean, if there is a story, it is so routine, so obligatory. We get, you know, the landowner who wants to kick off the, uh, the gypsies and the gypsies always make convenient villains and stories like this. Of course, this movie doesn't care anything at all for the gypsies and their perspective, right? Because it only cares about the privileged landowners and the curse that's rightly and fairly put upon them because they're jerks. But anyway, that's uh, that aside. Uh, there's nothing new in this movie. The story's really un unoriginal, not particularly creative. It does this kind of flashback thing from the opening sequence, it sort of bookended at the end, that I thought was fairly incomprehensible. I'm not really sure what that was about, or at least it wasn't really clear to me. Maybe, I don't know, we can go in spoilers and someone can explain it to me. I don't get it. It's probably worthy to get the name for the title, though, um, which I agree is not a good original title, but The Curse is even worse. Um, the Curse sounds like it should be Bloomhouse, and that gets to my other problem with this movie is that this movie in the hands of A24 could have been really good. It could it, Ari Aster, Robert Robert Eggers, uh, David Lowry. Let's get a visual director in here, not Sean Ellis, who's actually interestingly enough, according to IMDb, an Academy Award nominee. He made Cashback, that movie that was like the British version of Click, where you can stop people in time, and it's like a guy in a department store. Interesting movie. I remember that one, but I mean, this movie. Uh, just uh, plotting, long, boring, nothing particularly interesting. Um, the the townspeople act in completely unbelievable ways, and only that you know poor quality horror films act. They only do and say foolish things that, of course, are wrong. And then you get this kind of you know Van Helsing character who's out there to cast out the demonic forces, but no one really listens to him because they all think he's crazy come on, get a better story, get better uh, visuals. This movie feels like it was on Netflix. There's nothing unique about it. There's one thing I like about it. 
And that is at the beginning, the director chooses to show the scene where they burn down the gypsy village in one long take. And I felt like that was like an Ari Aster type move. Like that felt like hereditary. And that was kind of a cool sequence, just letting the camera sit there in a pretty cool, impressive set piece that is just utterly destroyed by this fire and horses that go into it that look pretty impressive. Doesn't look like there's any CGI in that. So more of that less netflix type bullshit and a better story better characters two stars for this one man zach is just grumpy today i i am <laughs> all right well, well yeah it, it, the, the agua fria that'll do yeah. it all right todd split us in split us in half here yeah i'm pretty much in between you two uh <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I, I was reminded of The Witch in some ways. Like, it, it's it's authentic feeling, but it's also kind of creepy. That was the thing that I most came, came across. But there's some of, like, the most the grossest, most, like, gruesome, ritualistic violence ever. Like, this side of, like, Bone Tomahawk, really. Like, like the scarecrow building scene thing. Like, that that was seriously messed up. I mean, I, and, like, I, I was like, it, it was like, ugh. Uh, but that's good because I mean, to, to actually make me squirm is a, is a, is an accomplishment for horror movies, but I don't know. I mean, a lot happens off the screen. I thought it was almost like a quiet place at times in the 19th century, but it shows the beast a little bit too much. Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't like the jump scares as much as uh, I, I don't know how this was actually a Sundance movie. Honestly, it maybe it was recut for the theatrical run because it, it never felt like something I would ever associate with Sundance, but it comes together pretty conveniently, I thought. It's kind of a peculiar movie, though. I'm not completely sure what to do with it, because I could revisit it and reconsider. I mean, I do like Kelly Riley a lot. Like, she's a badass in Yellowstone, but, like, other than that, like, she's developed this, like, Vera Farmiga-type niche, where, like, ever since Eden, like, she's able to do these kind of horror movies where she she has these really emotive eyes that she makes you, like, really feel and uh, and see the fear in her. And, um, the guy who plays Seamus Laurent is also terrific. He's just a despicable person. But yeah, I mean, of course, I'm giving the two and a half stars. It, it could improve. I haven't really shaken it off. But at the same time, I don't know when I'll actually revisit it. That's I think the, it, this is a February movie, you know, and, and you go into a February movie with maybe lower expectations. And I think there have been February movies that have just done this content better. The Witch is obviously a great example. I, and this movie has a lot of parallels with that. But I think the problem comes back to Sean Ellis. I just don't think this movie is directed in a very talented way. I, he's this over-reliance on smoke machines, quick cuts, jump scares that aren't really that scary. And then when he goes away from the jump scares and shows the creature, I absolutely agree with you, Todd. Like, it's sort of unconvincing. It's not necessarily that it's it's poorly done, but it's just it kind of takes out any sort of interest in the story. It just becomes really conventional at that point. And then you got to say, the last 20 minutes of this movie are ridiculous in the way that the characters behave and act. And you just don't buy it at a certain level. I wanted to know more about the gypsies. Give us more of the backstory about why this is happening instead of just relegating it to some, you know, perfunctory dialogue. Oh, this is what happened in the past. There's no flashbacks or anything like that. There's no real, like, uh, origin of this. It's just sort of convenience for the, for, for the jump scares. And it's just, you know, a wasted opportunity. It wasn't all jump scares though. Like seriously, when they build that that scarecrow out of that guy, like that, I, that was that was just that was something I've never seen before. It was inspired. I, I'll, I'll I would use that word to describe it. But see, I didn't I didn't feel like there were like any jump scares in it. But that was that wasn't the sound necessarily design, the sound design was the jump like that that it made the jump scares. Yeah, it didn't. I don't think it ne that was necessarily the point. I I guess it all depends on how how much you got into the story and uh, and what was going on. 
and uh, yeah, then I just got into it more than you guys did. So, well, I mean, I, w- I was into it. I just I saw the conventions at the same time, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the 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 framing of the of the start to the end, um, I I thought it was kind of neat how they they kind of like I said they they started off in a way that you don't know what's going on, but it also kind of gave away how it was going to end. I don't get it though. Can you explain it to me? Like, okay, we can be a little bit spoilery here, but I thought they don't they never come back the same. So how did that character survive that and live another 25 years? To me that made no sense. I think it was because of the of the silver bullet. I mean, but if that was if the case, been... couldn't they resuscitate more characters? Like couldn't they resuscitate the one lady that is absorbed Not... by the beast? I mean, but I think I think at that point they were already dead, so no, he he hadn't he wasn't necessarily he wasn't actually dead yet. I think is the idea is is as long as as long as the beast was alive, its host was still alive. But um, and so the the way right. what that sounds right yeah yeah so as soon so the fact that the the beast was killed with the silver bullet it meant that the the host was able to to survive you know what terry sounds reasonably confident so let's just go with that and you know sean ellis friend of the podcast he's welcome on any time to describe <laughs> the ending of that movie but uh listen i didn't get it and i you know i don't i didn't like when they were when uh you know harvey Keitel was the gypsy villain in monkey trouble and i don't like it now gypsies are villainized over the course of film history and these were particularly interesting gypsies that just happened to be squatting on this land that this rich white male landowner was owning let's get a better perspective here people okay decolonize your bookshelf i i don't think the the gypsies were villainized in any way i think the characters in the movie were trying to villainize them but i don't I think everyone kind of well, saw it, the fact that the that um the that Seamus wasn't that his name Seamus the main guy yeah was a bastard in how he handled the whole thing. Didn't you think that the main character looked a little bit like a young Sam Rockwell? He was. I was trying to figure out who he looked like. Um, it wasn't Sam Rockwell though. He look, I don't know. I'm this sure movie, I've seen him in something too. This movie's bland. Here's what's gonna happen in this movie. I'm gonna like, you know, randomly look on our podcast like two years from now and see that our review was over the cursed, and I'm not gonna know what the hell the cursed it was. <laughs> Adam's given this three and a half stars, right? Of course he is. Probably. Probably. Yeah. This is a, this is a total Adam movie. It's not it's not gleeful though. It's not it's not fun in any way. So I think he No, but he loves he loves a, he loves a good slasher movie and this movie is just different enough I think that he'll get, really get into it. All right. Well anyways, uh I'm giving it 3 stars. Todd's giving it 2 and a half. Zach's giving it 2. It's in theaters still right now, so if you want to go check out a good scary movie in theaters, uh The Cursed is there for you. All right. Oh, I also thought the the daughter in this was had like it, she was like some combination of like Thomas and Mackenzie meets like Anna Paquin. And she had, she had a really interesting look going on. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but she reminded me of like five different act- actresses all at once. All right. That's the cursed. Now it's time for our deep dive. And we're going back 40 years to the 80s, Zach's favorite decade of movies, 
and to one of the just legendary uh, high school hangout movies, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud. Let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> this was Todd's pick. So Todd's the expert in this. I had never seen it before. Zach had maybe seen it once, I think. Does that sound right? Uh, it's complicated. It's complicated. Okay. Well, uh, we decided that uh, that Todd was going to be asked the questions for trivia, and uh, we were both going to come up with questions. And I ended up not coming up with any questions because I was too busy watching it and forgot to come up with them. So, Zach, do you have questions for Todd? No, I thought you were doing trivia. Shit. We were both doing trivia for uh, Todd. God so I guess we're not doing any <laughs> trivia then. That's okay. We're skipping trivia today, and we're just going to go straight into the deep dive, which I think is fine. Okay. Okay, I have one question. This was going to be, I'll, I'll, I'll ask it. Okay, all right, all right. So uh, I got to find the character, but, you know, Vincent Schianelli, you know, the guy who, uh, right. Schiavelli, Mr. Vargas, yes. His wife, who in real life murdered her? Oh, it was, that's, um, what's the name? The, the old, the Hollywood producer, um, Al Pacino played him in a movie. If that I know. Oh, <laughs> I can't remember the name. Phil Spector. I'll, Phil I'll give Spector. you a half point yeah, for that. There you, go. there you go. You won. You won trivia with a half point. There we go. Well, What's I had that? one that I thought you were going to ask. What What are oh, yeah. the five uh, rules uh, that uh, Mike Damone has for when uh, dating a girl? Oh, one of them was about the. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, one of them was about order for her. Listen to her and order for her. Or order what she's ordering. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. You got one, Terry? You want to just go back and um, forth? I, oh, I can't remember any of them right now. Uh, one of the, the last one was put on the Led Zeppelin record. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Led Zeppelin 4, side one. Yes. Um, Gosh. I don't know if I remember any of the others, though. It was wherever you are is the place to be. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yeah. yes. Never let her know how much you like her and always call the shots. Great advice. And they use those, all of them. He, well, he, but he puts on the Led Zeppelin record when they're in the car, not when they're actually making out. <laughs> it has it up way too loud. Yeah. Uh, all right, Todd, tell us all about Fast Times at Ridgemont High and your experience with it. Well, Fast Times Ridgemont High on IMDb says a group of Southern California high school students are enjoying the most important subjects, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I don't think that describes the movie really at all. Like, the, this movie is way different than that. This is written by Cameron Crowe, second movie of his we've done, directed by Amy Heckerling, second movie of hers that we've done. And I feel like this movie has inspired so many movies, basically every high school movies since then has been inspired somewhat by this movie. Like it may seem like cliches. A lot of the things that happen in this movie is because they invented the cliches. This is a top hundred AFI uh, comedy and rightfully so. Uh, I mean, and, and like the characters are all, have all been replicated since then. You got um, uh, Spicoli played by Sean Penn. That is basically Travis Birkenstock from Clueless and 
the guy in Good Burger, basically every stoner character since then is doing some variation of Spicoli. You got the relationship between Stacy and Linda, which is a lot like the relationship uh, between uh, the high school characters in American Beauty. Uh, you have the the like the sad sack uh, Mark Rat, who is basically like Oz in American Pie. You have Mike Damone, who's just the despicable character, who's a lot like Bender in uh, Breakfast Club. This like the, these characters, these situations have been replicated so many times because of this movie. And I saw this movie a long time ago, and I've seen it a few times, but and I've always liked it. I I know how iconic it is, but what I love about it is how it doesn't feel like any other sex comedy from the 80s because the 80s had all these movies they all were the same and but this one was like elevated it, it's it's somewhat of a drama on top of the uh, on top of the ridiculous comedy and the comedy isn't that necessarily ridiculous considering all the other movies that came out at the time i just think it's a great movie and i think it's really rewatchable and i think there are so many iconic things about it uh and and some great performances and debut performances by like a dozen uh future hollywood stars yeah this like i said this was the first time i'd watched this and um and i really enjoyed it i'm I'm giving it three stars uh it's it's a like you said it's a movie you can tell influenced a lot of movies um like this is this is where dazed and confused came from this is where like any high school hangout movie that came after it knows fast times of Ridgemont high and has to thank it because you can see all those movies in this. And, uh, and it, there's not a whole lot happens, but it's still, it, that's kind of the point. It, it's just a fun movie yet. The, and like you said, the, it also has some, some depth and some heart to it too, that, uh, sometimes doesn't come out in these types of movies too. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, this was one of the, uh, the many DVDs I have on my shelf that I hadn't watched yet. So uh, I didn't have to go anywhere to get this one. It was there already. So I just had to pull it off the shelf and watch it, which was good. It is streaming on Peacock, I believe. Oh, I, yes, you're right. It is streaming on Peacock. All right, Zach, what are your thoughts on Fast Times at Ridgemont High? It's also available from the Criterion Collection, interestingly oh. enough, this year. So part of why... I was okay with Todd doing it is I really wanted to check out the Criterion version of it. And there's some good extras on this. There's a really good uh, conversation between Amy Heckerling, uh, Cameron Crowe, and uh, Olivia Wilde. It's a uh, socially distanced conversation, but Olivia Wilde mentions a little bit how the film influenced uh, Booksmart. Um, and uh, there's also some episodes of the, of the TV series that the, the movie inspired as well. Um, I'm not a fan of this movie. I never have been. I've seen it in bits and pieces. I love Clueless. Clueless is a top 100 movie for me. It's a formative movie. I think Amy Heckerling is a criminally underrated director. I've liked a lot of her movies, and I feel like the movies of hers that don't work, like this one and European Vacation, are not necessarily the fault of her. I, I feel like they're the <clears throat> fault of, in this case, Cameron Crowe, but maybe also the studio a little bit. Um, I love Amy Heckerling. I think she's terrifically talented. I love her voice, which sounds like Judge Judy because she's got a really strong Brooklyn accent. And I always like the way she dresses. And in the in the extra that she does with uh, Olivia Wilde, you know, Olivia Wilde, normal background, right? Nothing crazy on Zoom. Cameron Crowe, kind of what you would expect. Lots of hodgepodge of you know records. And I think he's got like uh, Seven Samurai in the back or something like that. Amy Heckerling's background. I love this. 
is a Barbie doll house with Barbie dolls in it. It literally looks like she's just hanging out with her granddaughter or something. Anyway, I don't know. I, I, I like that. But uh, for, as for the movie itself, uh, yeah, I, I'm really not a fan of this movie. I, I avoid it uh, because to me it's, well, partially I'm influenced by Ebert's review, to be fair. And so I wanted to go into this movie with, with a clear open mind to it and i will say i think ebert's review is too tough on this movie and i think he's not fair in a lot of ways so i'm not as harsh hard on this movie as ebert is ebert's review is very much you know he did this thing in the 80s where he came to the defense of these young actresses who did nude scenes in movies and he felt like they were somehow violated so he did this with both jennifer jason lee in this movie and he also did with isabella rossellini in uh wild at heart and blue velvet and i just feel like you know they're not martyrs i mean they agreed to it they're, they're complicit with it and actually if you listen to the commentary of this movie uh, Heckerling talks about how Jennifer Jason Lee was fearless in this movie. She actually wanted to do more sex scenes, sex scenes in it, more nudity. She was actually like naked on set, apparently, and was totally comfortable with it, unlike Phoebe Cates, who was not comfortable with it. Um, I, so my problem with the movie isn't like from a moralistic standpoint. I just don't think it's that funny. I just think it's sort of like a derivative. I think of uh, it's derivative of, of Animal House and Porky's. If you want to make the claim that it's influential in that some way, fair. It's well, okay, fine. I mean, I know you like the movie more than I do. It's fine. You can you can think that. I I do think it influences John Hughes movies a little bit in the sense that it does go a little bit deeper into the characters. Um, I don't know, personal lives, social social emotional lives, and you can see that a little bit in the Breakfast Club and Sweet and and you know um. Uh, what's the one sweet 16 no sorry 16 candles 16 candles i'm but you know listen i'm just not a huge 80s fan i'm not a huge high school movie fan so I, it's just not really my thing again i went into it with an open mind i will say the best thing about this movie is i think sean penn is great in it I, I, every scene he's in he lights it up it's like john belushi in animal house right he is he is the star of this movie he absolutely kills the performance. He's great as Spicoli. I cannot help but smile whenever he's on camera. He's hilarious. He's got a good rapport with Mr. Hand. They've got good scenes together. I wish the movie was more of that, less I don't need the other characters in it. I just, I don't, I, I'm a little bit baffled and puzzled why so many people think this movie is influential. This movie is an AFI movie. It's on the National Library of Congress's registry. By the way, Kramer versus Kramer is not. And uh, I just, I, I don't see it. Also, about this Criterion cover, looks a lot like the cover of Dazed and Confused. I should have brought that here, but like it's got the same kind of like button sort of, you know, thing going on graphically. Uh, and it obviously influenced Dazed and Confused to some degree, which is a far greater movie. But I'm going to try to be level-headed with this movie. I think it has some good elements, but for me, it's like a, it's one and a half, two-star movie, depending on the day. I'm wearing my Dazed and Confused socks, by the way. <laughs> or not Dazed and Confused, Fast Times River High. Yes, very nice. Very nice. Is that it, it, it's look almost like uh Damone's uh, uh keyboard scarf is what that kind of looks like. I think there were Spicoli's shoes. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. The yeah, oh, the checkerboard bands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's another thing. This movie was very influential in 80s fashion and culture. It's got a pretty well-known soundtrack. You know, you listen to people talk about why this movie is beloved. It's not even so much the story or even the performances, but just the you know, the manifestations of 80s culture that are splattered throughout this movie and were, you know, absorbed by other directors too at the time. Well, yeah, but I mean, okay, so it, I, I don't know how you could say it's derivative of those movies. It's, it is nothing like those movies because this the comedy in this doesn't necessarily hold up as being laugh out loud like it probably was at some time, but everything else works about it. Like the characters work. 
And all of those things have been replicated since then. I don't think there's anything in common with Porky's. Like, I mean, and, and that's the kind of thing that Ebert was saying that this movie is like. He said it's like some like gross high school thing or whatever. And like, that that's not what this movie is at all. Like, there's almost nothing like gross out about this. There's nothing like just, that's just like excessive nudity or anything like that. Like, this is a really genuine high school movie that is more in common with Days of Confused than anything else. And I, I feel like it also has characters that were inspired from this movie. It, it's in between. You know, I, I think it's and it, it's perfect because it literally comes, you know, chronologically in between Porky's and Animal House and the John Hughes movies. I don't know. I feel like it's got it's got better characters than Porky's for sure. It maybe isn't as gratuitous as Porky's, but like there's definitely Animal House themes in it, except Animal House took place at college. This movie has more of a female perspective, I guess you could say. But like, I don't know. There's no resolution to these stories. They kind of it doesn't really go anywhere. It feels very episodic. And again, the situations aren't particularly novel. The characters feel undeveloped. And it's just not that funny. Uh, the Spicoli scenes are pretty good. They made me smile, but it's not like I'm laughing out loud at them. Um, whereas Dazed and Confused, okay, is that laugh out loud? No, but that feels more genuine. It feels more real, even though we weren't alive in the 70s. This movie, again, feels like a product of the 80s in such a way that it, I feel a little bit alienated from it. So even though you aren't a fan of this movie or like something like There's Something About Mary or something, aren't you glad that these movies are represented on AFI's list and they're not just all movies from the 50s? Yes. Oh, I'll agree with that statement for sure. Yes. I. It, it, yes. This is this is okay. this is more relevant culturally relevant than the Doris Day movies that they would just stuff on the AFI list. Yeah. Okay. I find it fascinating that uh, the the poster boy of this movie is Spicoli, right? Sean Penn is is on the movie poster. He's all he's the one that you talk about. And and this is one thing that I will say is kind of like Animal House because in in Animal House who do you talk about the whole time you talk about John uh, Belushi, Belushi. I, I think they have about the same amount of screen time in that they they it really leaves you wanting more of them. Sean Penn is by far not the main character of this movie, just like John Belushi is by far not the main character of Animal House. But every time they're on screen, they make the scene better, and it just leaves you wanting more of that character. Um, and uh, it, it's fascinating that you don't get it. I, I just think, think that's really that's Well, I really think they added a lot of scenes with him afterwards because he's not on screen with any of the other characters, really, throughout the whole movie. In any of the main it's characters. True. Except, like, he has the, the, the final scene with Judge Reinhold, but that's it. You know what another problem with this movie is that I just couldn't shrug off? Is and this is you know not this was one of the strengths of the John Hughes movies and Days and Confused. These actors to me all look like they're thirty. Now I get that a lot of them were teenagers when they shot this movie. I just don't know how. I don't know how Judge Reinhold is not thirty-five. I mean, he looks so the same that he did in the Santa Claus. Yeah, he looks the exact same. I think he's just always looked the same age. I mean, because I looked this up, Judge Reinhold when this movie came out was twenty-five. See, like Forrest Whitaker looks like he's he looks like he's like sixteen. Like, I mean, it, it's similar to like I don't know. I mean, oh, I, I mean, and Jennifer Jason Lee looks young she, too. She looks young. I'll I'll give she you Forrest 20. Whitaker, um, but Sean Penn looks at least thirty in this movie. He was twenty two. In in a way, I mean, that's not that you know. So what? I mean, he's not he's he's separated from the rest of them in 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 a, in a weird way. But like you know, uh, I think uh, uh, Robert Romanus. What else has he been in? But he doesn't look at all like a teenager. He doesn't talk like a teenager. He, he was um, 26. 
yeah. Uh, you, you know, and, and of course, this movie is known for its legendary, you know, young cast, but it's cool recognizing people, but they just don't look like high schoolers at all. Days and Confused, they all look like high schoolers. I mean, it just, it, it, it's well, just a casting. Everyone looked thing. older back then. Like, I mean, but everyone looks younger now. Like, I mean, that's, maybe that's a generational thing, or maybe that's just the way that we look at it because we are. <laughs> I mean, it could be, I, it could just be an irrational reaction. I'll give you that. But like, okay, so, you know, it's, it's also, I got to just mention this. Euphoria season two is on. It's it is hard to watch this movie and not think about Euphoria in a lot of ways. And Euphoria just again, the times are different. Euphoria pushes the envelope in a lot of the same ways that Fast Times at Ridgemont High did, although it's a lot more serious, obviously, in tone. But like it just it feels more realistic. And maybe it's because of the casting, maybe it's because of the stylistic and quality of it. But this movie just kind of feels like I, I don't I don't know what makes it special, except for the fact that these cast members became famous. And besides the fact that Amy Heckerling and Cameron Crowe were behind it, I don't know why this movie gets the special attention that frankly, Porky's doesn't. Because it was different. It has the dramatic moments. The last like 20 minutes of this movie are not are not Porky's in any way. Like, from the moment that you know Stacy goes out with Mike, like I mean, everything's different. It's not the same movie that it was before. It's not trying to be like you know, it's not trying to be some like sex comedy anymore. It's more American graffiti or something. Going back to talking about age really quick, I will say all the actors playing uh, high schoolers in this are younger than Ben Platt was in Dear Evan Hansen. Well, that's good. There's a plus. <laughs> no, the the old the oldest one is um the oldest ones are 26, and that's uh Mike and Mark are both 26. So to put it in perspective, Elsie Fisher is older than Jennifer Jason Lee was in this movie, and she was playing an eighth grader, what three years ago? Like, I mean, th that's how close the like these actually are to being like legitimately the the age that they should be and that 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 is why this movie is also kind of uncomfortable in a lot of ways like when she goes out with that guy who's supposed to be 26 that guy looks like he's 45 like that guy already looks like a grown man is i don't know yeah i, mean, I, I was impressed by the by how young the the cast actually was because they don't you're right they don't necessarily look it but they were well, and that's the other thing. We don't have to go too much into this, but like, I think this movie is dated terribly in, in the Me Too era. I do give the movie props for showing the sex scene from the female perspective and how uncomfortable it is for her. Um, but I just feel like, again, the fantasy sequence in there, I think, has aged terribly. Uh, I think the, the idea of an underage girl and then the, the fact that the movie does show her nude ages terribly, it seems unnecessary. Um it, it just feels kind of icky watching this movie. Like it just feels a little bit pervy. And again, it's, you know, I, I don't know how much you can blame the movie for it. I'm sure 1982 things that the world was a different place, obviously, but I think it, 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 it impacts the way I watched it. I can't deny it. And it just kind of feel, it, it felt unnecessary. At the time it probably pushed a lot of boundaries and that that's probably why it has that iconic status. And it, in a similar like, way to like midnight cowboy does, you know, it's like, I mean, it was completely well, revolutionary. And when it came out, and you know, it's not even so much like this that the sex scenes I, you know, that you need to cut them out necessarily. I just want more resolution. I'm like, okay, I thought a really interesting scene in this movie was when Jennifer Jason Lee confronts Robert, uh, what's his name, Romanus, right, Damone, about yeah. the fact that she's now pregnant. 
and she needs to get an abortion. And, you know, she says, hey, you know, let's let's split it. Can you give me a ride there? That to me was a really fascinating scene that you would not get in Porky's. If you want to make the case that this movie transcends the lowbrow humor of Porky's, you could point to a scene like that. And yet the movie never really does anything after that. It's like, okay, cool. That storyline got resolved. Great. You know, put it put a period really on it. Didn't. On the that's the thing. And that's why it's authentic. It never got resolved because he didn't show up. He well, he didn't came. show up, and it, but but they they basically parlayed it into you know her relationship with her brother, which was nice, I guess, and then it kind of moved into her her relationship with with Rat. But like that didn't feel real to me. I I, I think if you're a 15 year old girl who's a virgin at the beginning of the movie, that is a you know that that's a traumatic thing that happens to you. And I get that this movie is a comedy, and it's not going to be never really sometimes always. But I just feel like the gravity of that situation to me takes a little bit away from the authenticity that you're praising uh, about the movie. The movie also co- covers an entire year in 90 minutes. So, yeah, like, the, it the goes from summer break to summer up. break. Yeah, like the timeline screwed up. It's like the beginning of school and like like a few scenes later, it's like Christmas, you know, and she's still hung up on the guy that she went out with at the beginning of the year and saying like she hasn't heard from him no- since November or something. So, I mean, it, it is really weird. And plus, it's like spring and then they're still playing football. I that's like one. I guess that's one flaw with the movie, but at the same time, like that that would explain why she is involved that much. Like she had, like she lost her virginity, and then like she's had like all these other things leading up to that point. Like she's no longer just a little girl anymore. I get it. I just, to me, that I'm trying. I'm in a way, I'm sort of roundabout praising the movie. I, I think the movie is bold for exploring those issues. But then it just sort of ignores them for cheap laughs at the end of the movie. I mean, think about the last scene in this movie. Like, that is such a lame way to end, you know, what what could be something kind of more powerful. And if you look at Cameron Crowe's track record, I mean, obviously he became a better writer maybe later on in his career. But, like, doesn't the movie have more weight to it than just that? You know, you've developed this character who is kind of interesting. And it does kind of, you know, she is the main character of the movie. And she evolves in some ways. But it's like, it just... I don't know. To me, it's like a disappointment. I, I wish that the movie had, again, not become a drama. I'm not saying that, but like, it just felt like it was, it, it developed something and it just, it, it just <clears throat> abandoned it. Well, I mean, this is based on his own book that he wrote while he was like, uh, while he was William uh, Miller. Yeah, exactly. Undercover at a high school or something in San Diego. So, I think a lot of stories in high school go unresolved. I I don't I don't think that that's completely un like unrealistic to to end everybody's story with some sort of unsatisfactory thing other than like a an ending, you know, blurb about like oh yeah they went and did this. That's where the animal house thing comes in, obviously. But I don't know. I mean, everybody's just like left in limbo because that's kind of the way high school is. And I also think that going back to something else you said, I think. For being an 80s movie from the 80s. Um, where did he go? I'm back. There he is. Okay. But no, for being a being an 80s movie made in the 80s and what that culture was, um, this might be about as Me Too friendly of an 80s movie as you can get. In the fact that it was very female-centric, uh, it looked at a lot of things from the female point of view. The main character um, is a female, right? Like yeah, she is yeah. the main character. Right. As much as they want to put Spicoli on the front of everything, she's really the main character. And if there's anybody else, it's it's Judge Reinhold. 
Um, and and it does have the 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 gratuitous sex in it and stuff, but I think that's just that's the eightiesness of it. But I think this is a this might be as as a female perspective of an eighties movie as you could possibly get. Um, that that actually covers some of these some of these topics. I mean, like you've got Breakfast Club and stuff like that. Breakfast Club doesn't get into any of this. Uh, it doesn't go that far, but this movie does, and it does it in a way that I think definitely honors and elevates the the female characters in it, um, even though it still shows very much that it's an 80s movie. Yeah, I mean, I completely disagree with that, but I will say that Cameron Crowe and Amy Heckerling got better, so this movie is, to me, like an interesting footnote in their careers, all right? Because you compare this to, like, Say Anything, which I think is a beautiful movie about coming of age and sexuality and does it in a less gratuitous and less lowbrow sort of way. I don't think this is that gratuitous. Like maybe every sex scene has nudity, but there's, it's not gratuitous sex. Well, okay. If, okay. Maybe that's the wrong word, but maybe like just, just so this movie is so like single minded, single track minded in terms of sex. And like, that's just, I don't know. I think I, by 1982, I think you want to develop characters that teenage characters that have a little bit more gravitas about the world than these characters who maybe are, are shallow, but like, I don't know, like, look at movies from France that were about teenagers. I mean, so much more authenticity and truthfulness and not just, you know, single-mindedness about sex. And maybe, you know, it's not a fair comparison. The movie, we're, we're reviewing the movie that we got, but I'm just, I'm trying to give my reaction about why, to me, this movie just doesn't hold up that well, but it does have some merits. It's just not, to me, the kind of cult classic that everybody says it is. But everybody bases their movies off this one. Like everything between this and American Pie, essentially, are trying to be this movie. Every, every high school movie, they all they, idolize. They definitely, they definitely steal from it for sure. Let's move on and get into our Mount Rushmore that we have for this week, um, which is in honor of Spicoli, who I think we can obviously say is the consensus pick here. Um, the greatest movie stoners. That's what we're going with. Yes, that is what we're going with. And and are we are we safe to say Spicoli is our is our consensus pick? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, so Zach, tell us about your favorite Clueless character. Oh, I'm not going with Travis Birkenstock. Oh, because he, he, he is get... stolen from this character. Sure. Uh, well, you know, Mr. Hall and Mr. Hand only have two different letters in, in their names if we really want to go there. But uh, no, I mean, Travis Birkenstock does get high, but he becomes reformed at the end of the of Clueless when he turns in his bong uh, to the Prismo Beach disaster relief uh that well, well spicoli does you know save uh burke shields that that's true that that's true by the way you want to talk about that ending is totally ripped off from animal house, animal yeah, I mean, house that, that's the only part that animal oh, the, the only animal the whole of movie is a rip off of animal house by the way interesting rewatch deep dive of animal house which in many ways you could say is maybe even more problematic than this we'll movie. Do that next year i we should do it next year. You guys know that it was shot in my hometown of Eugene, right? That's what I love yes. about Animal House is I can identify all the places of that movie. Anyway, it holds, holds a soft spot in my heart. No, I'm going I'm going to go a little bit offbeat here, but it's a classic Zach pick. Since we're going with a classic Todd movie, we're going to go with a classic Zach pick on Mount Rushmore, which is the greatest Tarantino stoner of all time, not played by Eric Stoltz. And that is uh, Melanie from Jackie Brown, played memorably by Bridget Fonda. I mean, she is high this whole movie. Whoa, girl. You know, uh, she is high uh, all the time. 
I don't think that she she offers her bong to Robert De Niro. Um, you know, she she makes the shake for him. Uh, you know, um, if you get high this early, girl, you're going to lose your ambition. Not if your ambition is to get high and watch whatever. I'm butchering the line now, but uh, it's uh, you know you can't you can't trust Melanie, but you can trust Melanie to be Melanie, and she's amazing in it. And uh, to me, that's the most iconic stoner um, in in my favorite movies. All right, nice. you can choose that, a lot. That's, that's a good. The call. Female stoner is underrepresented, so I'd <clears> like to see if, in, in honor of Amy Heckerling, I'd like to see a little bit more gender disparity on this list. I'm guessing you guys picked male characters. All right, Todd. Well, if you're talking about most stoned, then that's a little bit different. But I don't know. I mean, I'll just go with it anyway. It's it's Slater from Days to Confused. Wait, I mean, yeah. He, yeah. You know, his whole monologue about George Washington and that whole thing. It's oh, like Martha if you Washington. Ever, if she, you've ever you know talked like... if you ever talked to somebody who's stoned. That's what it sounds like. And it is so beautiful. Like that, that character is like, he was born with a bong and uh, that's a, it's gotta be my choice. Yeah, that's a good one. That is a good one. That when, when I, yeah, when I think now I'll think of Spicoli, but when I think of a movie stoner, the first face I see is, is that face from Daisy Confused. Can't you see how the guy in Good Burger, like he's totally Spicoli with with dreads instead of you know just like long blonde hair. <laughs> I've never actually seen Good Burger. Well, Keenan and Kel. Neither. <laughs> oh, Keenan and Kel. Okay, okay. So just Keenan and Kel in general. Gotcha. That's who you're talking about. Okay. Um. Man, there's so many good ones to go with. Um. Part of me wants to do like a like a five way tie between the uh, the entire house and Knocked Up. Um, but, uh, I think I'm going to go with Harold and Kumar. Yes. Good ones. I was going to go with Jay and Silent Bob. So I'm glad you want the, the dual roles. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, nothing, nothing's better than the, than the stoner, stoner buddy comedy and an entire movie dedicated to them just going and searching out their munchies, uh, is, is pretty, pretty epic. So, um, I'm going Harold and Kumar. I love it. I, that was on my list too. Any others you guys considered? Well, you got to think about, uh, you know, um, Dale and Saul from Pineapple Express. Yeah, that was the yeah, other one. That was the Apatow, other one. You could go whole Apatow filmography. It feels, it feels a little ingenuous that disingenuous that Seth Rogen is not represented on this list. Um, you could go Jesse Pinkman or Badger and Skinny Pete. You could certainly go mm. Alfred Molina and Boogie Nights, although it's maybe questionable whether he's smoking pot in that movie. Um, I had sort of an unorthodox pick. I wanted to just go with Hal Ashby as just a person because he was stoned oftentimes when he was directing his movies. And uh, I think I'm going to go here. Todd will appreciate this pick. Let's go with Fezco at this point. Why not? I think Fezco deserves yeah. a spot. He is maybe the best character on that show. And um, that's all I got to say about that. Yes, and, oh, but, but at the same time, I don't know how much weed that actually is. True. Uh, do you have any others? No, he. I mean, he he mentioned them. So okay. All right, cool. Well, let's get into uh, recasting Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And th this was an interesting, uh, an interesting exercise here. 
Uh, Todd, you're going to go first. With uh, We're going to start with Spicoli, brought to us by two-time Oscar winner Sean Penn. <laughs> See, my guy is not going to be a two-time Oscar winner. I, I'm going with Olan Prenot, who played... Uh, he was in mid-90s. He was the guy who played... Oh, it. oh nice. And I uh, think that it just it just seems very very easy for him to slide into this kind of role because nobody nobody's gonna be spicoli nobody's sean penn at age 22 and he can become a two-time oscar winner and like that's impossible to replicate very true very true um okay so i i, I kind of went with a little bit of a gimmick here with my recasting um, because I thought it was going to be impossible. I mean, all these people were like in their first movies or first or second movies. So it was going to be really, really hard to cast this. So I decided what if this movie came out when I was in high school, who would have been cast in it, which, so what I did was this movie came out in 1982. It's 40 years. So I split the difference 2002. I was a junior in high school. Um, so what would this movie look like if it came out 20 years ago? Nice. I like it. So that, Franco? that's, that's what I did. What? You just gotta be Franco then, right? Yeah, it's Franco. Yeah, <laughs> it's James Franco. <laughs> I, I, I was floating a couple guys around. I was thinking James Franco. I was thinking, um, Aaron Paul, I was actually thinking would have been an interesting one to slip into Spicoli. Um, maybe someone like Eric Christian Olsen could, could be an interesting one in there. Or like even young, like, uh, Adrian Brody. Yeah, maybe. The year that the pianist came out. Okay, yeah, yeah maybe he's a little too old by that. But I, Sean I was Penn also thinking five in this movie. I was also thinking like maybe Ryan Gosling. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Like someone yeah. like that mm. too. But like true believer but, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, that's a good but one. But Franco, I think. I mean, this is the year that that Spider Man came out, and so this is like the height of Franco. Well, he played know, a star in that somebody. one De Niro movie around this time too, right? Oh, City by, by the Sea. I think that was two thousand two. Oh, yeah. Also, yeah. yeah. So, so James Franco's my pick. Great choice. Yep. Nicely done. All right. Yeah. I had a similar time with Terry. I I didn't want to pick some, you know, 17 year old who's only been in two movies that, you know, in France or whatever. So I just went the obvious route. I'm going to recast this as the euphoria cast because I love euphoria and I think this has great overlap. And obviously this would be played by Angus cloud. And if you watch the behind the scenes of euphoria, I don't know if you've been doing that, Todd, you know, HBO max has the behind the scenes. I've been watching it every episode, fascinating interviews. Angus Cloud is either a method actor or he's high. He his he plays it's the exact same. Fesco, oh yeah, there is no that, def- is, that is him. I I saw an interview. He, he was getting interviewed by Simon Rex, and they were just like talking the whole time about live, growing up in the Bay Area. I was like, no, he's he's just Fez. Like, yeah, that's that's him. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's kind of appropriate because uh, if you watch the behind the scenes of Fast Times, Sean Penn, also famous method actor, did not get out of character off the set. So I feel like it's appropriate that Fez would also be this generation's Spicoli. Perfect. Awesome, Terry. You need to watch Euphoria. I do with your I really with your young do. children uh, watching it too, of course. <laughs> no. <laughs> Go to your class, you know. Get them ready for high school. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, Todd, go to Stacy, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, your favorite actress of all time. 
Yeah, she's up there. Uh, so that's why that's why this is the movie choice. By the way, I'm sorry. Just to clarify that to audiences, we haven't said that already, but we're watching this because Todd loves Jennifer Jason Lee and, and Nicholas Cage. And oh yes, Nicholas Coppola. You mean? It's Nicholas Coppola. <laughs> this is a Coppola or or something. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, since you guys aren't going the present, I could say both of my picks: Joey King and of course Elsie Fisher, which I chose that before I watched that Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Both of them are around the right age, which is kind of terrifying, although they are technically about four years too old. They're both around 19 or 20. Um, Elsie Fisher has a lot in common with uh, Jennifer Jason Lee in, in how they carry themselves and how they feel about themselves, I feel like, in, in their in their roles especially. And I, Stacey Hamilton is a really great character, and... I don't know. I, I can't. I can't think of anyone else in her age range that I would know that that could do it. Elsie Fisher coming up a lot in this podcast. She's like the the, the Greg Kinnear Award winner for most random appearances in a podcast episode. <laughs> exactly. Who yeah. Not, not exactly how I planned this. <laughs> Considering you guys love that movie a lot more than I did. All right. Uh, for who would play Stacy twenty years ago? So I've got one that's probably a little old. But when I saw Jennifer Jason Lee on screen, the first thing I thought of was she looks like Amy Adams in Catch Me If You Can. Ooh, nice. Um, nice. And, and so, like, that that's all I could think of. And then that came out in 2002, so it's kind of perfect. But Amy Adams is already, like, 28 at that point. So if you want to go with someone a little more age-appropriate, you got to go with, like, Scarlett Johansson. But, um... Ghost World... Style. Yeah, right I mean, around that's, Ghost that's, World that's, age. That's all right. Um, but uh, but yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee looked just like Amy Adams did in Catch Me If You Can. So that that's my number one choice. But Scar Joe is is pretty close. Hmm. Was Anna Paquin too old by then? I thought Anna Paquin could have killed that role oh, at a certain point. Let's see here. Well, she was what like twelve when she 20, did the piano. This was twenty fifth hour year, so she was a teenager in that movie. Anna Paquin she was, I, she, I feel like she was already 18 when she did like uh, Hurley Burley. 20. Right? She had been 20. Yeah. So she could have she could have totally done that. If I was doing Terry's list, I would I would have picked Anna Paquin. But this liked, would have been like X-Men 2 yeah. that year. I like the, done it. I like the Amy Adams pick because it, it, it reinforces the idea of an unknown uh, star. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, can I just say real fast my favorite Jennifer Jason Lee fact? And this goes back to why Todd loves her so much. So do you guys remember the movie L with Isabel Huppert? Yeah. I didn't mention this to Todd, but there's only two actresses who would have ever done L, which is which was a crazy role. And the only two were Isabel Huppert and Jennifer Jason Lee. And somehow that just totally makes sense that no other actress would have remotely done the crazy shit that 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 character has to go through, except for those two. So maybe uh, Isabel Huppert should have played uh uh, Stacy in you know 1966 when she was you know a teenager because Isabel <laughs> maybe, the, maybe, the, maybe the girl in uh, in uh, Nymphomaniac right yeah Price, Price she there we go yeah, there we go oh, or Mia Goth like that could have been interesting too um anyway Sydney Sweeney well no okay so this is where I'm going with this I, I'm not no not Sydney Sweeney I'm go- uh, there's only two car- uh, you know people on uh, Euphoria who could possibly play this. Mod is the app is the obvious choice. I got to go with Mod. However, oh, that's yeah, that's that's perfect. However, I do think Zendaya could do it, particularly if you watch 
the flashback scenes in season two where Zendaya is at her father's funeral. And you can really see like they go real hard. They lean in real hard on the innocent, you know, 14 year old Rue look. And she pulls it off really well. So I could see like an interesting kind of character arc and transformation if Zendaya played Stacy. So really either one of them. But I think Maud's the obvious answer. I like it. I need to watch you for you. Next, we've got Brad played by Judge Reinhold. Look at the big brains on Brad. Uh, he should have worked at Big Kahuna Burger. Um, not that other fast food. American Burger. You know, yeah, I have an interesting Burger. theory. Has there ever been a good movie with a character named Brad? I was trying to think about this, and I really can't think little of children. Anything except for, well, of course, you're <laughs> going to say that. I didn't think Little Children was a good, good movie anyway, except for Pulp Fiction. I don't, what I do you mean think... you don't think it's a good movie? I gave it two stars on our rewatch, didn't I? Or two and a half no. or something? I can't. It wasn't. Okay, fine. I just, and, I can't think fiction, of a lot of. His name actually wasn't Brad. That was the whole point. No, Brett. Oh, Brett. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah, no good movie. Yeah, Brad status. No, thank you. Um, You know, Brad. Uh, it, 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 it just doesn't. You know, not a lot of good Brads out there. Sorry. <laughs> All right, Todd, who plays Brad? I, I didn't really have a good one for this. Uh, I mean, I like I just thought of who would be the best big brother, and that'd be uh, Lucas Hedges, because yeah. he still kind of looks like he's in high school, even though he's probably like twenty six or something at this point. Yeah, I feel like Lucas Hedges is probably starting to enter Ben Platt range, where he might think he might be able to still pull off a high school. I know, but... I, and that's what I was I was thinking that too about like oh who's the kid in mid nineties is probably more like Sonny Suljic, like but he's I think he's only like fifteen or sixteen. I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, go back twenty years. Who plays Brad? Oh, first I I have something I have to say about Judge Reinhold. Um. After watching this and thinking about Judge Reinhold, I think uh, he might be the only other person that could have pulled off uh, Jack in Sideways. Oh, I think there are more people than just than just that. And I that's and I, I still want to see the George Clooney version of it because I think he could have pulled it off. But that's but, not a bad. That's but not like, a bad thing. yeah, if if Thomas Hayden Church couldn't do it in 2004, Judge Reinhold could have nailed that role. Anyways. Uh, my Brad from 2002 is Colin Hanks. Kind yeah, of the, the, the buttoned of up, tall drink of water. Orange County, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yep. Okay. Zach, what it. do you got? All right. This was this is now where we're getting kind of tough because there's not necessarily a great character as uh as uh the Judge Reinhold character. What's his name? Brad? Um, I don't know. Maybe Todd can help me out with this one. Uh, I, you, I mean, listen, you could go Austin Abrams who plays Ethan, the boyfriend of cat, but really that guy is more of a rat character. Maybe he can do it in a dual role, but I think I will go with him because he actually was in the movie Brad status. <laughs> so he has to be Brad, right? All right. I mean, I feel like maybe maybe uh, the guy who plays Chris, L.G. Smith, like, I feel like that's more of like a Brad type of role, right? Oh, yeah. That, okay, that could work. I, I still, I'm going to stick with mine, though, for now. But it could, it could work, yeah. Okay. All right. Moving on to Mike. Kenny doesn't know what we're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. 
Uh, Mike, brought to us by an actor who kind of disappeared after this and didn't really do much after, Robert Romanus. Todd, who do you got? Yeah, it's not an easy one to recast. He's like one of the most despicable characters in movie history. I I went to Terry's route and went with a girl next a girl meets world uh, actor, and that is uh, Uriah Shelton, who played Joshua, the older brother, uh, or the no the uncle. No, he's the uncle. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, I just feel like he could play a sort of like a, a dick at some point, and he's around the right age. Yeah, this was a tough one. I had a tough one coming, tough time coming up with this one. Uh, the one I settled on, I don't really like, but we're going to go with it anyways. And that's Jake Gyllenhaal. This is like between, between Brokeback Mountain and Donnie Darko. So like the good girl. Yeah, era. that, that era, Jake Gyllenhaal. I could see him being a, being a, a slick, fast talking, you know, con man with a trench coat with the trench coat yeah i could see it working zach what do you got uh you gotta go jacob alordi here um and uh you know i I mean there's not really another good role for him in this recasting so i know he doesn't really look the part but he's definitely got the douchebag uh persona intact so i think this is where you gotta place him am i wrong todd definitely a daddy issues there yeah yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Nice. Jake is nice. okay. Australian in real life, by the way. Did not know that until watching the behind the scene features. Moving on to Mark Rat Ratner, played by Brian Backer. Todd. Uh I'm going with Caleb McLaughlin, who plays Lucas in Stranger Things. It, it's just it's one of those roles you just kind of have to be sort of this kind of a loser but likable at the same time and you want to root for him and i that's one that's one of the characters in that in that show that i that i kind of feel that way about and i mean finding people in that age range is not easy i was really scraping the bottom of the barrel here i went with uh i went with elijah wood like right in the middle of right in the middle of lord of the rings lord of the rings (laughs) that era elijah wood (laughs) But but I mean the 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 nerdy kid I mean he could totally pull that off. The nerdy level like Stifler's kid. little brother or something at that point. <laughs> American Pie two era. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's That's, not a great pick. I think you can I do had. better. You can do better than that. All right, I'll keep what? looking around see if I can find someone. It would have been perfect Jason Biggs role, but it's a little late for that. But mid nineties it would have been good Jason Biggs. Yeah. What do you have, Zach? I went with Hunter Schaefer. Um, I know she'd have to play it a little bit more innocuous, obviously. But again, this is if we have the Zendaya casting. I mean, then you're recreating the magic. Uh, but I think she could do it. And I would I would be really intrigued. I actually sort of forgot about Algie Smith after Todd mentioned him because he's really not in season two all that much. But he could also maybe pull this off in part because I don't know if he could really play a nerd, but I feel like McKay is a really likable character on the show who kind of gets the shit end of the stick. Uh, and uh, I, I I find him really sympathetic as a character. And so as an actor, I think I could find him sympathetic too. The hard part about looking at actors that are like 40 years old now is were they actually working 20 years ago? 
that that's that's right. the tough part yeah like i'm like ooh, simon helberg 20 years ago would have been a great mark but i don't know if he was acting 20 years ago <laughs> like no one knew who he was until big bang theory all right uh let's go let's go linda next uh brought to us famously by phoebe cates todd Again, this is not an easy role in that age range to cast. I I said Sophia Lillis, who is the the main girl in Stranger Things, which just shows how young these people actually are, and she's still probably too old. But who I feel like she has a lot of the the same. That's the main. No, it's in uh, in it. In it. Oh, okay. Because I was say you're thinking really Bobby Things. Brown, but yes. Yeah, the wrong, the wrong okay. all child that, cast. Thing. That makes sense. Phenomenal. Yes. The other one sorry. was Finn Wolfhard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, that was probably my confusion. <laughs> she she well, can speak, play Linda. Sure. Speaking speaking of that, I mean, he's also in the new Ghostbusters with um oh what's her name? Who's the girl in that? The McKenna girl who, Grace. Yeah, McKenna Grace. Yeah, McKenna Grace was... need, needs to be in your cast somewhere. Yes. Isn't agreed. she too young though? Is she is like fifteen, right? I don't know how old she is anymore. Look it up. All right. I think she's a great kid actor. I loved her as the genius girl she with Chris 15. Pratt. She's really she's talented. I haven't seen Ghostbusters yet, but like she was in that she was in an Amazon movie too, where she played like uh, this. Uh, I can't remember it at all, but it was it was she's she's like the Thomas and McKenzie of this generation. There was like was a three year generation. period where she played the younger the the kid version of like every Captain female Marvel. lead. Yeah, she was Captain Marvel. She was. There were a couple others. She's she been was a lot too. of young, young. Was she yeah. young Black Panther? I feel like that would have been right up her alley, but maybe not. Black Widow. Black Widow. Excuse me, not Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say like. Uh, I mean, no, she's a very versatile actress, young uh, actress. But I, I think that might elude her. Sadly. That that might. Yeah, that's a that's a little much. All right, I'll we'll look that up a little more. And see what else. Uh, my my. Oh no, she was uh, she was young Tanya Harding. Oh, that's in, right. Uh, in I yeah, Tanya. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways, my Linda uh, from twenty years ago. I think this one is a perfect one. It's Jessica Biel. I think she would have been perfect. Right around when she was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which I also watched yesterday. And th- this was right around. Wasn't this like Rules of Attraction that she was in? Right around there too. I think it would have been around the fun. end of Seventh Heaven. Yeah, the end of her Seventh Heaven run. That's a good one. Yeah, I would have maybe that, gone Jessica Alba, but maybe maybe she's too old at that point. That that Wrong that's Jessica. another one that's right around the same the same time frame too. That would have been good. She even looks a little like Phoebe Cates. Jessica Alba does. Yeah, that that's where I ran into an interesting casting decision with Euphoria because the actress on Euphoria who looks the most like Phoebe Cates. Uh, is Alexa Demi who plays uh, Maddie, but that's not who I went with. Now this is where you, you got to go, Sydney Sweeney. This is the, the the obvious slam dunk picks. Sydney Sweeney, no questions asked, even though they don't really look alike. But it's done. That's easy. That was the easiest recast. All right, uh, last one, Mr. Hand, the history teacher, originally played by Ray Walston. Todd, this one you didn't have to go with a twenty-year-old. I went with Gary Cole. I, I mean, there's, it's not that difficult of a role to recast, I guess. He, I mean, but if you want somebody who can just act like a dick to people who don't deserve it, 
I mean, I think Gary Cole has shown that, especially in office space, that he can do that. That was not go, bad. Why don't you go with Ben Savage if we're going the girl meets world route? World route. <laughs> now he we're talking too young. Um, so my pick, I I like that pick, but it needs to be someone with a little more gravitas to them, like like, like Mr. Wallace Hamm. Sean. Yeah, he he was like he had he had some panache with how he did things. So I went with Franklin Jella. Oh, okay. Interesting. What about Alan Arkin in two thousand two? I mean that that could have that could have been an interesting one. We could we could do a whole episode on who we recast as Mr. Hand in two thousand two. I mean th- <laughs> this could be a quite a, a long and distinguished list. His name popped up on as I was going through stuff, but I, I felt like it. I Christopher Walken. Get, like, I mean, yeah, I think I think oh, Langella is holy. a little. Why? Why would you say that about me? Uh, Mr. Hand almost feels Shakespearean in the way he uh, he insults Spicoli, and so Langella felt felt right. All right, Zach, who do you have? Uh, this is obviously Coleman Domingo. This is the other most obvious casting. <laughs> Two thousand twenty-two best actor at the Academy Awards a year from now, Coleman Domingo, and uh, yeah, he would make an awesome Mr. Hand. Ali and Mr. Hand, not two different characters either, by the way. For really looking closely at the evidence all right perfect what were your thoughts about the mini did you watch the mini episode with just uh rue and and ali in between seasons one and two i was not a huge fan of those mini episodes and to me they're sort of like they mess up the chronology a little bit but whatever Mm, they needed something though because otherwise they wouldn't have anything to let you know like what rue is going through going into the season i don't know i mean i thought it worked What's the over-under until season three comes out? Because you know that shit takes forever to make. And there's actually been, there was an article this week about how Sam Livingston has come to set unprepared because he doesn't do shot lists. And so the actors spend like 15 to 17 hour days shooting. My over-under is like 2024. Like it's Yeah, I mean, it, it probably um, January 2024. Similar to like how Atlanta gets rolled out over the course of like, um, you know, two seasons and five years kind of thing. Like, I feel like it's going to be the same. Any any predictions for tonight? As 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 the play wraps up, I didn't watch last episode, last episode actually. You what? Oh, okay. Wow. So I won't say anything. Watch it. I'm very excited for it. All right. Okay. So our next question is usually who would Nicolas Cage play? He was in this movie, in like yeah. the smallest of all small bit parts. Well, he was. He, he had uh, tried to get the role of Brad. And he uh, he lied about his age to say that he was 18, but he was only 17. And when they found that he was 17, they took away like all his like uh, all his screen time, basically, because they didn't want to deal with the child labor laws and stuff. But he would have been an amazing Spicoli and probably Brad. But what I can only imagine made... him as Mr. Hand, though. Yeah, if yeah. this is made in 2002, I said he'd be Mr. Vargas. He'd be the one digging around a <laughs> cadaver. Yeah. <laughs> Or Martin Brest as the, uh, you know, the the other doctor. Undertaker. Yeah. I also thought about what about um, the uh, the guy who chews out Brad at the uh, the restaurant uh, for undercooking oh. his burger. That Nick Cage could have a great epic meltdown in that scene too. And that's like the Ben Affleck role in like uh, um, Clerks Two kind of thing. 
yeah. another movie that probably was inspired by this movie. All right. Highest war performance, Zach. Obviously, Sean Penn. Uh, I mean, this is an iconic Sean Penn performance. It introduced him to the world. Um, we've talked about how Spicoli has had a lot of iterations and influences. And we even said, you know, that arguably Bluto was an inspiration for Spicoli, but he's the star of this movie. He radiates in this movie. He's fantastic. And it's, I don't think it's an easy role to do because he has a particular look and persona that's kind of hard to match. And believe it or not, I have a hard time <laughs> thinking of other actors in 1982 who really could have done it. And you would think that there would be a lot like maybe Christian Slater or something like that. But I really, I can't really think of anybody who could, who could have the sort of demeanor and the speech patterns, um, but also the physicality and the hair that he has, except for Eric Roberts. But that's because Eric Roberts is the best, you know, actor of all time. And I don't know why any of you people don't hire him. The man is an artist. His his best role is in uh, is definitely in the uh, the Killers music video for Mr. Blindside. Yeah. Or or the or the or the Mariah Carey song where he loses the girl to uh, to uh, Wentworth Miller. I still think his best supporting performance was at the Mickey Rourke speech. He says, <laughs> "Get on with it." Yeah. So my my highest war. This is kind of tough, but the one I went with was uh was Robert Romanus as Mike. He he yeah. was he kind of had this perfect persona. Um, actually, you know who would have played you know who would have played him in two thousand two is Patrick Fugit. Um, I could have seen he that he kind of looks like him a little bit, but he had this perfect persona of I mean he's this despicable character, but he kind of had this lovable nature to him as well. That's why I said he's like Bender. Um, like Bender has to be based on that character, right? But see, you, you, I think so. But even Bender was, um, he wasn't as slimy. Like Mike was slimy, and it had it just had to do with just the physical appearance of that guy. Just gave off this slimy but likable, and it it was it was all in the way he carried himself. And I thought he was it was like the perfect actor for that role. And um, maybe he never worked much after this because I could see him being the one out of this that got typecast and couldn't break that, break that mold because he so perfectly fit the appearance and stature of what that character was. Todd, who do you have? Yeah, I have both of those written down. I guess I'll have to say Jennifer Jason Lee. And I just that I don't know that character. It should have been a lot less interesting than it than it actually was because she immediately pops off the screen as being different, even though she doesn't look different. Like there's something about Jennifer Jason Lee that makes that character click. And I it's it'd be the hardest one to replace in any era because there's no actresses that are really like her. She does do an amazing job in this one. Worst performance, the Bill Paxton Worst Performance Award. The hey, newly Bill named would have been great in this movie as a teenager. <laughs> um, I'm going Phoebe Cates. Uh, wow. she, yeah, she was, um, just kind of this the way she came across and the way she portrayed it. Uh, Zach, I think you said it, it would, it's a perfect, um, 
the perfect comparison is like Mira Sorvino in uh, in American Beauty. Is that the right Mina Suvari? Mina Suvari yeah. in American Beauty. Um, that that's a that's not a hard mistake to make on the name. <laughs> Anyways, that was what I said. <laughs> MS. I, I I said that 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 their relationship is exactly the same because you don't know it, it, if oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. If she's actually lying about her boyfriend or if she's actually a virgin or whatever like it's very it, it's not really it's kept for me pretty well in that yeah i i also felt um the other one that i thought uh borrowed from this which is a much much worse movie than the rest is it kind of felt like the um relationship between amanda seyfried and megan fox and jennifer's body mm. wow i haven't thought about that one in a while yeah um it's us back back but to the day. but i'm and I think I feel like that that'd be a great like Megan Fox would be able to play How this role. How was Megan well. Fox in your 2002 recasting? Yeah, that too would have young. Been, oh, okay, I don't know how young. old she is, but that would have been interesting because she no one knew who she was by that point. That's true, but no, Phoebe Cates, I've, her performance had one speed, and and all she was just whiny, and that was all she had, and she didn't try to do anything else. Um, the, the most acting she had was the look of disgust on her face when she opened the bathroom door. And that it was, was a it. really good look, though. It was a good you look. You guys know why she was looking that way? Because yeah. because Reinhold had brought in a dildo, and she wasn't expecting that, like a giant dildo. So her reaction was genuine. <laughs> that's beautiful. Uh, anyways, that, that's my that's my worst performance. Um, Zach, who do you have? I mean, that's pretty ballsy going with the most iconic uh, character in the most iconic moment from this movie uh, as the worst performance. I mean, that to me is pretty stunning. Um, even besides that scene, I think. I mean that that scene was stunning. However, it, she the rest of it she didn't. Yeah, worst. Mr. Skin's number one nude scene of all time. Mr. Skin. Paul Rudd says. Yeah, I think that's a terrible pick, Terry. I'm going to go with Judge Reinhold, mostly because he, just, he doesn't look the part at all. He looks 35. I will say my favorite... It's just the way he looks! <laughs> then pick, go with someone else who doesn't look that old. It's not that hard. It should have been Nicolas Cage. Like, I mean, Yeah, yeah it, he, Nicolas Cage definitely would have improved it. I agree. That's why Nicolas Cage looked 30 sitting behind that burger, that burger fire. Well, he was, only, he was underage. Yeah. I will say my favorite Brad moment, and this is again a callback to just uh, you know again this is this is such a Porky's ripoff. You can't you know I, my favorite moment is uh, the camera with his big ass bouncing right in front of it as he washes his car. I don't think we get enough uh, non-sexual male ass scenes in movies, and I really like that moment. That was that was his ass was a great performance in the movie. His face not so much. He loved that car. Like I don't know how you know, how his payment plan worked with that either. Like uh, yeah, he still had like five more payments. Like I don't know. Yeah, th- this movie had had a, a bizarre obsession with uh with the uh, lots the of derriers in this movie. The human behind, and it I, was I it was very liberal liberal on both sides of the gender line the, on the kill on Lincoln. The it was sometimes am, ambiguous on. Uh, <laughs> uh todd worst performance well i was thinking about martin Bress, which as zach says is a great name uh but i didn't <laughs> go with that uh but i went with uh zach i love to see more stanley davis jr who is uh, uh jefferson's brother the the younger <laughs> forrest Ooh, little brother. brother what Who? forrest whitaker's brother forrest oh, okay. Whitaker's forrest little brother. brother okay okay he's gonna shit 
Like he he's he's gonna shit. Oh, make up your mind, man. Is he gonna kill us or he's gonna shit? Like he's gonna kill us and then he's gonna shit. Like I don't know. That that kid was awful. Because all the kids are always awful, but he was yeah, particularly bad. He, the only the only roles he had other than this were in one episode of Chips, and ten years later he was in an or a movie called Leon the Pig Farmer. Ooh, that's because he sucks. <laughs> Leon the Pig Farmer, is that like, you know, <coughs> Cage's Pig directed by Luke Bresson or something? Like, that sounds exciting. Yes, exactly. We need to come to the stable that. How has McKenna Grace not been on Todd's shit list for a performance that she was in? Like, have we not de- deep divin a McKenna Grace movie? Like, no. she's been in a it's million like of them. <laughs> but you always zero. put the child as the worst performance. Usually it's a little girl, and she is the quintessential little girl of our generation. So... I feel I feel bad for McKenna Grace. Uh, I would also I don't know why you didn't go with Spicoli's younger brother. I actually considered going with him because he oh just, it, yeah, it, mm. it's just such a bland performance. And and I think they could, that was sort of a wasted opportunity. I would have loved to have seen a more interesting and dynamic younger brother that maybe contrasts with uh, Spicoli a bit more. I also thought that the women next, staying next to him um, in his night in his dream sequence uh, were kind of bad acting, but whatever. McKenna Grace is 15 and she has 62 acting credits on IMDb. Oh, I'm not surprised. We should have done an over-under on that shit. I would have taken over on 60, 62. <laughs> 62! Yes, I was. She's That's been more. in everything. Literally. Like, you could, like, 2017, 2018, she was the little, everybody, she's been everybody's little girl at some point if it's a blonde actor. What's her net worth? Well, that I don't. That I don't know. She's been in Handmaid's Tale. She's been in Young yeah. Sheldon. Oh, yeah, she was right. in she Fuller was House. Handmaid's Tale. She was right. in Designated Survivor. Um, <laughs> Everything. She was. She was in the miniseries The Haunting of Hill House. Was she, was she the Was she Black Widow's young Black Widow? No, she was okay. not young Black Widow. Okay. No, because she. I, I think they probably Man, limited to one young. Growing it. At young one in the MCU. Two million dollars is her net worth. She was in two movies last year. She was in Ghostbusters Afterlife and Malignant. Um, she was in she Annabelle that, Comes that's Home. That's right. She was in Annabelle Comes Home. And she wasn't a younger version of Vera Farmiga. I remember being shocked at that when I watched that movie. She was uh, young Captain Marvel. Uh, she was in Ready Player One. She oh, was young Tanya in I, Tanya. Um, she was yeah, in Once Upon a Time. They, they, they really milked the scene when she was crying. That was all over that trailer and lots of, you know, paraphernalia for that movie. She was Why in the Independence Day sequel. She was in 50 episodes of Young and the Restless. I don't know. Because you now keep we're... bringing up McKenna Grace. That's why That's why we're talking about this. But Young the Pig Farmer is on TV. So I think could. we need to come to the table that. <laughs> Uh, all right. Amazing Larry, Big Tim, High Roller, Minor Character of the Film Award goes to Todd. Uh, I like Arnold. That's uh, Brad's friend that he gets a job at, at uh, All American Burger because he pops up and everything. He's in police. Oh, he had a good piss, Arnold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he completely <laughs> gets him fired. Although the other guys in Police Academy 2 or Police Academy 4, the the um, rat rats in place kind of before. Oh but, yeah. 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 I saw but, that. Yeah, Ar- Arnold. I mean, he just, he's, he, he plays a good loser and that, that character is pretty dumb. And I, I just think that he's funny whenever he's on screen. Zach. 
Uh, obviously, I'm going to go with one of the teachers. Um, I, I would go with Mr. Hand, but I think we essentially know all we need to know about Mr. Hand. I want to know more about Vincent Schiavelli, okay? Uh, Mr. Vargas, who apparently has a smoking hot wife. He's really into the human cadavers. Um, and I can't think of any high school class where you ever got to see a dead body, but that sounds pretty fun. And just as a great contrast to Mr. Hand, when Spicoli shows up, I actually, that was one of the funny moments of the movie is Spicoli randomly shows up to that field trip. He's like, are you in my class? And I, am oh, today. No, I am today. <laughs> and he's like, he just goes with it, which is, which is really cool. And then he shows up at the, at the dance with his wife before she got murdered by Phil, Phil Spector. And then eventually we all know that Vincent Schiavelli got murdered and end up, ended up haunting the subway and ghost and helped yeah. Patrick Swayze. So he has a really interesting backstory that I want to know where, how that character, how did he die? I want to know more about that. So he's obviously the, the minor character award winner. Uh, the other teacher we see the, like the gym teacher, does he not look exactly like Wilt Chamberlain? Like old Wilt Chamberlain, the one who breaks up the fight. Like when 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 rats like looking like the the like the Notre Dame like mascot guy when he's about to fight Mark, <laughs> that teacher looks like Will Chamberlain. I actually have no idea what scene you're talking about. I don't remember. Neither do any, I. When they're in the locker teacher. room and when he's gonna fight him for going out with uh, with Stacy. Oh, I remember that scene, but I don't remember the teacher breaking it up. Weird. I'll have to go back and watch it and and he check looks out like Will Chamberlain. Like Will Chamberlain, like when he died like era like 90s Wolf chamberlain okay okay i'll have to take your word i don't know what i'm talking about but yeah but this this happens when i know the movie and you guys don't well my my minor character is mr hand i i find it funny that we almost went with uh a mount rushmore of like horrible teachers or like really mean teachers or or whatever we were gonna bill it as in honor of mr hand but I, I thought Mr. Hand was pretty awesome. Um, and the, the way he approached his class was kind of was kind of fun and funny. And, uh, and the way he showed up at Spicoli's house the night of the dance was like, I mean, that's like every teacher's dream to do that to the slack off in your class. And like, no, I'm going to show up to your room and I'm going to now waste your time. Uh, that that was brilliant. I kind of figured you would think that that was brilliant. And uh, my hat's off to uh, to Mr. Hand. So, oh, one of my trivia questions was going to be, what's the name of the textbook? The I name left of the it in my locker. I even wrote it down. The name of the textbook is Land of Truth and Liberty. <laughs> that sounds like a history textbook name. My other options were Anthony Edwards and Eric Stoltz being. Oh uh, yes, of course. Especially Anthony Edwards. Yeah, <laughs> this, he doesn't look any like, like him. Four years before before Top Gun, and Eric Stoltz is like sitting on his toilet, like on top of the toilet, eating a hamburger, <laughs> talking to Spicoli. Like, I, I wanted more of that character. <sighs> yeah, both of them. I wanted more of both of them because once I figured out it was them, they like never appeared on screen again. All right. Stickman and douchebag. Uh, Zach, you're first. Uh, surprisingly few amounts of stickmen. Um, and I'm I'm gonna, you know, not say the uh, you know, 
26 uh, year old uh, Ron Johnson as a stick man because that's just creepy. I'm going to go with Stacy's mom, played by Ellen Fenwick, because she's got it going on. And we all know that that was one of the inspirations also from this movie. So you get it, Stacy's mom. Fountains of Wayne. Fountains of Wayne. I, as we were. Uh, as we were watching this, every time uh, Stacy's name was said, my wife started singing that song. Like every time someone said, "Hey, Stacy, Stacy's mom is gone." Is that song better than this movie? I think I would have to say yes. <laughs> well, but Stacy had her own song though. Like that, I don't know. Well, I can't even. I can't come up with it right now but like every time that she's got to be somebody's basically. baby the jackson brown yeah, song. yeah that yes, whenever i hear that song i do i will confess i think of this movie because that's the only place i've ever heard that song um but it's not as good as fountains of wayne i also only think of uh well i mean other than sounds of the lambs like she was an american girl oh I think, I think yeah of this movie that's too. a good connection i did not make that but you're right yep you yeah you can't that Silence of the Lambs comes before this movie but it is in this movie. All right, who's your douchebag, Zach? This is just a Camera Crow movie, basically, is what we're saying. Like they, they, all the great songs. Uh, exactly, all of the songs. Who's your douchebag, douchebag, Zach? Uh, I'm gonna go James Russo as the robber at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't we haven't mentioned him enough, um, but you know, good good solid character, and I want to say he was in. He's he's had a decent career. I can't really. I'm looking at it here. He was he's in normally a villain. He was in this movie called Extremities that I saw with Farrah Fawcett. Apparently, he was in Donnie Brasco. Yeah, that was it. Donnie Brasco. That's right. I, and I actually remembered him in Donnie Brasco. So that's where the connection there happened. But, but was yeah. he in Donnie Brasco though? He was one of the associates. I thought like he worked with Pacino. Hey, Paulie, of course. All right. Uh... So Stickman, I, I I was I had written down the the um, um Stace, yeah Ron, yeah I took but, that from you Terry yeah. I knew I knew you were gonna say that you shouldn't have yeah, called me but first. I mean I I mean that that is kind of cheating but um that there aren't really any others so <laughs> uh, my douchebag it, it's Mike I mean um with an honorable mention to Lincoln High School. Uh, for for destroying yeah, but the car. Listen, the, the, assassinating, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. the assassinating Lincoln stuff. <laughs> that not funny, you know. That was really tragedy. funny. <laughs> that was a beautiful. Bit, a little bit over. A little bit over they, the. They, I mean, now, now, no. Overboard would have been if the principal had come out and renamed the school for the week leading up to the game, the John Wilkes Booth High School. That would have been going mm. overboard, but um, but though the button saying assassinate Lincoln, I thought that was pretty that was pretty funny. All right, Todd. Well, I mean, I think there are other stick men. I think Mike is sort of a stick man. He has his own five point plan and it works for him. And and Brad also is dating like a smoke show, and he has been and he, and he Lisa. wanted to break up with her before their senior year. I. She I was a know. candidate for worst performance, by the way. I thought yeah, she's pretty she bad, pretty terrible. That's why I thought you were gonna probably a bad girlfriend too. Uh, but she's on my... screen for like fifteen seconds. That's yeah, gonna be she... the bad performance. Well, she was on. She was uh, in the the restaurant scene earlier, right? Okay. Didn't she work with him? I don't know. Uh, okay. Well, biggest douchebag. 
I mean, well, there's several. Like, there's a lot of douchebags. Like, any of Brad's bosses are douchebags. But the biggest douchebag is Sonny Carl Davis as the businessman who wants his money back for his breakfast. That was uh, slightly yeah. undercooked. Mm. That, it, I mean, it, that's it, just like, now I'm going to ne- kick 100% of your ass. I will never not think of Ben Affleck in Clerks 2. That is cemented in my brain. You're right. That is, that's a Ben Affleck performance. Yeah. That, that is, I mean, he's got to be the biggest douchebag. And he was, it wasn't like he wasn't going to give him his money back. He just had to fill out a form in order to do it. I mean, come on, calm down, dude. I know. And Brad loved his job. Like he He was, loved his job. He's like, He's like, yeah, Arnold. Hey, I could probably get you in an All American Burger. Let me talk to my boss, and we'll get it figured out. And he, like, he 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 had probably been working there for three years or something. Like, he he loved his job. I, I love that above the manager's head as he's firing him is a picture saying that Brad was employee of the month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty great. All right, what's the best scene in this movie, Todd? Uh, that's tough. <laughs> Should we go to I'm, Zach first? Uh, okay, well, I mean, okay, well, I I love when when Mark first meets Stacy at the mall. Like, it, I I think that those kind of genuine moments are are what make this movie like elevated from some stupid movie. And like, because mark is so awkward and stacy is so genuine and i feel like their their connection makes what movie what it is and when they first meet when he has to ask a stupid question like oh you know where do you uh where, where do you keep the jackets that people like leave behind at your restaurant and stuff like that just just to like give an opening to say like uh can i can I have your number like uh, i love those kind of scenes and that's probably the best one between them that's a good one Zach, what do you think? Uh, any scene with Sean Penn um, that isn't the last scene with Mr. Hand or the very last scene of the movie, which neither of which I think are very funny or interesting, but the dynamic in the classroom when he orders the pizza, when he shows up in the cadaver lab, when uh, he's got the he's got the shoes and he's got like the half bagel stuffed down his pants, which yes. seems really... Um, that move has not been done in 40 years. Yeah. I like the, I like the optional shirt too. And, you know, when they're hotboxing um, in the uh, VW bus. Uh, Apparently but- they were really actually hotboxing. Amy Heckerling has said that. But they were actually getting high before going into that scene. <laughs> I really just like any scene with Sean Penn. And really, had this movie just been a supercut of all the Sean Penn scenes prior to the last 20 minutes, I probably would have given this movie three stars. But at the same time, like, we're going to talk about potential spinoff sequel. Like, obviously, Spicoli's Adventures would be, like, the option for that, right? But wouldn't that just be as dumb as, like, the Jesus Rolls or something? It'd be, like, a, it'd be a horrible movie, yeah. Yeah, it, you, yeah. Can't have, you can't have that. It would just, it, it'd be something really, really bad. I, I don't disagree with that, so but I think... it should be a short film. Yeah, well, yeah, just the supercut of the Sean Penn scenes. That's okay. it. We don't need a spinoff. I didn't say that. So, uh, man, best scene. I I would probably say, like the scene that makes it more than just a any other high school movie is the uh, the scene where Brad drives Stacy to the hospital or to the clinic. 
like just all the circumstances around that scene it that's one of the things that makes this more than just any other teen movie um and i i think uh even going to like the night before when mike is like legit trying to do the right thing and just can't get it together and because he's he's a ticket scalper and a bookie and he can't come up with 75 dollars yeah he can't (laughs) but loser he he is a loser but he's trying and 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 so instead of saying he couldn't do it he just doesn't show up and and brad steps in and does the right thing and i i think it's a it's a sweet moment between the the brother sister there in that dynamic so and the reason why is because every other movie or show or whatever would have an older sister like the fact that she has an older brother that's doing that for her makes it different yeah that's a that's a fair point all right what what other what other sequel ideas do we have here none I think I think the only other one I could think of is if you were to make a dazed and confused style last day of school sequel. And 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 not try not try to expand and be like okay what happens after Brad re- graduates or anything. No, just just tell another episode in the exact same setting and do like a dazed and confused style this is the last day of school what does that look like? I think that'd be awful. And like what so no it's instead of aerosmith tickets it's like what the gogo dolls tickets or like i listen days and confused was a perfect movie for the 70s and the 80s suck and it's like they instead of hanging out at you know in, in the town square on the baseball field they hang out at the mall which is so uncinematic in this movie and no no don't don't corrode days and confused with this movie I think it'd be. I, I think, think be you funny. were saying the Goo Goo Dolls, and those were a '90s band, so I'm not really sure where you're going with that. Or were you going with the Go Go's? The Go Go's, yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. But they they mentioned several bands in here, like they they mentioned Blue Oyster Cult, and they mentioned what was the like those kids trying to get the tickets to? Isn't Bruce Springsteen's sister. Earth, in Wind, this movie? Fire, wasn't that what uh, mm-hmm. what Forrest Whitaker was trying to get tickets yeah. to? Yeah. Bruce Springsteen's Carter. sister is in this movie, by the way. Of course, uh, she plays, sister. Yeah, she plays someone named Dinah Dina Phillips. Who I don't know who that is. Well, I would like to see Forrest Whitaker's character actually interacting with people on the last day of school. There we go. That, I could do a spinoff with Forrest Whitaker. I'll, I'll go with that. He was, I, he I was see, underserved I, by this movie. I want to see Forrest Whitaker in the his character in the Ben Affleck role in Days and Confused. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, the the car is similar if it was red. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, flaws, conspiracy theories. What do we got? Well, I think Forrest Whitaker's character and the the football scene that he's in had to be the entire inspiration for the Water Boy. Like the those scenes <laughs> are that is exactly the way the Water Boy yeah. is shot. Water sucks, and and their uniforms were exactly like the uniforms in Remember the Titans. But if if there was actually, I don't know. I mean, if there's actually a flaw, it's like I think there the lack of an actual music score makes the movie have dry spots where it wouldn't normally have dry spots. And because I mean, you you fill the movie with with uh, these iconic songs, 
but there, there are scenes that needed some sort of like background music and there's like no actual music in this video other than the soundtrack That's okay great. jim hey jim um, <laughs> i actually like your uh jefferson um uh, Waterboy parallel. I think there's also a little bit of Happy Gilmore in it too with the rage and it makes me think about Adam Sandler. I also have an Adam Sandler conspiracy theory in this movie is that Ratner's name is Mark Ratner. Is he related to Howard Ratner? I think we have to ask that question at a certain level. Yes. I absolutely, I, I, I think so. He probably goes and spends Hanukkah with, with all of them and, you know, Rosh Hashanah and New Year. Um, I had a couple other points. So if if almost side, excuse me, not almost sideways, almost famous takes place at the high school where young William Miller slash Cameron Crowe did his under undercover investigation, right? I mean, they're both in the same city. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So in theory, Ridgemont High would be the school where you know they're combing their hair in the afro and and then at the graduation ceremony at the end of the movie. I don't know. I don't really have a point with that. I just thought it was kind of interesting that it's the same high school. Um, I also thought, okay, another um, uh, another uh, almost famous connection is that there's a character in this movie named Dennis Taylor. Now, I was really, I thought that Dennis Taylor was the name of the Jimmy Fallon character in Almost Famous, and unfortunately it's not. It's actually Dennis Hope, but I was hoping that, no pun intended, hoping that that it was the same character and that there'd be some backstory to it that Cameron Crowe could elaborate on, but alas, it's just the, the first name Dennis. I thought the made-up boyfriend of the Phoebe Cates character had an uncanny similarity to Jan Brady in a very Brady sequel when she makes up the boyfriend George Glass. Neither of you know what I'm talking about because I don't think you've seen it or appreciate it. The way Todd loves Fast Times at Ridgemont High is the way I love the Brady movies in the, in the mid-90s. And then the last point I had was I actually watched a little bit of Look Who's Talking on TV today. Much better Amy Heckerling movie. What's interesting about that, that Amy movie... Amy Heckerling? I love that Oh, movie. yeah. Amy and she did the sequels, too. Uh, interesting that that movie, both John Travolta and Kirstie Alley are Scientologists, and then both John Travolta and Bruce Willis were in, in Pulp Fiction. Did you guys realize that? I thought those were interesting points about another Amy Heckerling movie. So it may be a little peripheral to Fast Times, but I just thought those were interesting points. My, um, that That is interesting. That's interesting. My, my conspiracy theory is that I think Spicoli taught Lance in Pulp Fiction the stabbing motion. <laughs> Two How weeks in a row you brought that up. How I, is I Eric know. Stoltz not in this movie? <laughs> what? How is Eric Stoltz not in this movie? He is. He is. Oh, he is? Oh, who's he's, he playing? He's, he's I've one talked of about Spicoli. him twice. Yeah, he's Spicoli's... Oh. Him and Anthony... Oh, that's right. Stoner uh, Buzz. Okay. What is it? Anthony All Edwards? is right with the world. Yeah, him and Anthony Edwards are the stoner buddies of Spicoli. You see him a hamburger on top of his toilet talking to Spicoli on the phone when he's like, what's that noise? <laughs> my skull. My skull. So <laughs> Did we ever consider, instead of Robert Romanus, uh, wherever he is, um, at, uh, and Mickey Rourke as Damon? I don't think he's enough of a loser. Wait, no, Damon, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah, yeah, that could work. It could have. That could work. This is a year after know. Taps for Sean Penn. You said it was like people introduced him. Like that was I had. I have Sean Penn as my number one supporting actor in 1981 and number two in 1982. So I think You're number one supporting actor in 81 for Taps for, for Taps. taps? <laughs> yes. Over uh, Taps. who won? Who won it that year? Arthur. 
the, the, the yeah, Butler of and course. Arthur. <laughs> I don't even have. I don't even, he's not nominated. John Houseman, coming from yeah. a very British acting school. Yeah, that was a weak year for supporting actor. All right, let's uh, let's go to LVP, MVP, and uh, and then go to quotes and wrap this up. Um, let's see here. I'll go first. I forgot to write something down for LVP, but um, my LVP is gonna be. I don't know. Oh no no no! I do know. My my LVP is the pizza delivery man. Because seriously, you deliver a pizza to a class in the middle of a high school. I mean, come on, man. I'm pretty sure there wasn't any sausage on that thing either. Yeah, yeah. He and yeah. Uh and my MVP is malls. I mean good one. They, they make malls pretty awesome in this movie. And uh yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Uh let's go to Zach next. I made mine American history themed in honor of uh, Mr. Hand. So my uh, LVP for this movie is uh, obviously Lincoln. Um, the guy choked it and also gets encouraged to be assassinated by Ridgemont High School. And then the MVP of this movie is the Platt Amendment. I honestly did not know that much about the Platt Amendment before this movie. Um, and actually, I did look it up. It was passed as part of the 1901 Army Appropriations bill and ended the spanish-american war and i kind of wanted to hear more about mr hand's lecture about it if, if we're being totally honest that is, that's that's maybe you know the sequel is mr hand's lectures on tape about uh things like the platt amendment future podcast yes that 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 i i i did i did appreciate the Platt Amendment and and the 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 scene with him and him and Spicoli in the bedroom, I, I like that one too, where where he actually starts to understand some stuff. A little bit of a parallel between William Miller and Billy Crudup at the end of Almost Famous, right? Oh, there's there. definitely some William and Penny vibes between some characters in this movie too. So, well, to begin with, everything, man. <laughs> funny that was terry's best comment this this podcast <laughs> point for terry all right todd lvp mvp my lvp i mean well you could either go with the lincoln high school football team which got shut out or they got destroyed Eber, or Eber that a rivalry just, yeah <laughs> Eber for just a horribly bad take for this movie like one star like he is definitely yeah, this is like Lost. the time that you and I like gave three stars to the same movie, Todd, but we totally disagreed about what, what we liked about. Like, I feel I would <laughs> I would agree with Ebert's sentiments, but I completely feel the opposite about how he feels about the movie. Exactly. And my MVP is Cameron Crowe, of course, because this kind of movie doesn't get made. I don't I feel like John Hughes doesn't really have a career without this movie being made, and that, that's saying a lot. And I mean, but like like we were just saying, like Cameron Crowe has had these kind of characters and kind of things that he's done throughout his career. But like th this kind of movie, if he directed it, maybe it would have been a little bit different. But I mean, I, I feel like the the scenes between like <laughs> Rat and Stacy, like like after their date, like th that's totally like William Miller, like being like, oh, hold on, like. I was thinking like maybe we could go out and then after that I could see you pee or something like that. Like that's totally rad getting up and like leaving after that day. Like, I mean, 
Cameron Crowe is one of a kind, and, and this is one of his most interesting screenplays. Another thing I was struck by in, in that scene is just how smooth Stacy is at that point. Like, like uh, she knows what how she's... Much time, yeah, how much time that, that it's been since she she first... Um, right, exactly, Ron. exactly. But, yeah. like, I mean, in that scene, in most teen movies, she, like, screws up every part of that, and then they end up just laughing. And, and maybe the result of the night is a little different. But instead, she, like, is, like, on her A game in that moment. Which and I think I think that just is awesome and just completely throws off Mark. And uh, sure, yeah. he was uh, he was on uh, yeah he was trying to he was putting in his best effort the whole time like you know he spent yeah, probably yeah. what like three hundred dollars on that dinner that he didn't have his wallet for like I mean how much food and <laughs> that they had on the table he 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 tried he he tried to uh, present his A game in the car ride to the restaurant by turning on Led Zeppelin already so. He, he he was out of tricks. <laughs> Stacy's brother makes a solid stickman argument for fifteen to twenty minutes. I mean, that's I don't know if that's good stickman form or bad stickman form, but it's it's definitely worth noting in his stickman resume. If he if he's real. By the way, this is another part. We need to start some something on this podcast where whenever we go longer than the movie, because now we're forty minutes longer than the actual <laughs> movie, we should get some award or something, or it should be called something. Like a well, Merlot or something. Well, we didn't we didn't start our uh, our deep dive until that's like true. We had too many rants so. about the Oscars. Yeah, we did. And and by we, I mean you. Um. All right. Quote of the day time. Uh, we're gonna go to Zach first. All right. My I have two quotes actually. For my first quote comes from Clueless when uh, Cher gives the impassioned speech about the 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 Hadians, um, and uh, Travis gives it two thumbs up. Fine holiday fun. Amber says in a line that I understand, hello, was I the only one listening? I thought it reeked. And that's the way I feel about Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The other quote I'm going to say comes from my wife who watched the movie with me last night. And she said, like, are we sure some of these people aren't the teachers? I mean, they look old. What can I say? I agree. <laughs> it's because it's the 80s. People just looked older then. Um, all right. Uh, I'll go next. My quote. I was going to quote Spicoli in uh, the little bit of uh, history he actually understood from his bedroom, but instead I'm going to quote How I Met Your Mother, and uh, this is a uh, a song that uh, that came up that was a huge hit on the Canadian pop charts by Canadian pop star Robin Sparkles, who is uh, who turned into Robin Cherbatsky, played by Colby Smulders in How I Met Your Mother, uh, and this is her hit pop song called Let's Go to the Mall. And uh, and it, it goes like this. Come on, Jessica. Come on, Tori. Let's go to the mall. You won't be sorry. Put on your jelly bracelets and your cool graffiti coat at the mall. Having fun is what it's all about. I, I haven't done my homework yet. That's OK. And you know what my how my parents get, whatever. But I don't care because all my friends are going to be there. Everybody come and play. Throw every last care away. Let's go to the mall today. And I think that song was written for this movie. awesome mm -hmm. all right todd actually quote the movie we're talking about <laughs> okay it's obviously spicoli and it's one of his last quotes he says all i need is some tasty waves a cool buzz and i'm fine and i think that describes this <laughs> podcast 
That's that sound means that our time has run out. You've been a good audience. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, apparently, yeah. So uh, the the house is telling us that it's it's a uh, time to be done. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. And turn what off the hell the was that? It was the smoke I, alarm? I that. <laughs> Two hours on fast times at Ridgemont. Oh. <laughs> Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.